The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call Sam at 407-790-9957 or visit samsellsorlando.net. What's happening, night fans? Happy USF Hate Week. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy joining us today. What's up, boys? Wow. Hello, kids. I'm just sitting here watching the end of last year's UCF-USF game, serving as a big slice of motivation for the Knights this year. Yeah, hey, you know we'll, yeah, we'll be wow, getting into that in a second, yeah. Yeah, this is a big podcast. We're going three, you know, three wide here. We're going three wide to start <laughs> are- the show. I mean... Well, this was, this is what this is what college football is all about. We're, we're spread offense, Eric. We spread but it out. It's rivalry week. We're going three wide, and we have a and we have a guest on the show as well this week for uh, rivalry week. We've got uh, Colin Sherwin joining us a little bit later from uh, the Daily Stampede, part of SB Nation. He covers USF. We had a great conversation with him about uh, USF in general, about the game, about the rivalry, about the state of USF and the state of UCF from the USF perspective, you're going to want to listen to that. But uh, quick house cleaning. Make sure you hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all your War on I-4 needs. Um, make sure you also hit us up on our Facebook page as well, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Hit us up on Twitter as well. We are at UCF underscore banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric Lopez is at... Eric Lopez Elo. And Brian Murphy is at Spokes underscore Murphy. All right. We got all that covered. Oh, by the way, if you don't already subscribe to our podcast, you should do that. You can hit us up on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, boys. Let's dive in. It is Rivalry Week. We've been looking forward to this game for for. Well, really for a year, basically, since last year's uh, since since last year's loss, uh, where UCF had a couple of shots um, in the final quarter in a cl- in what was a close game, much closer than the score indicated. Why it was closer than the score indicated, we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, here we are, ten and O UCF. Never been five. Never been better than five and O in school history. The Knights have doubled that this year under Scott Frost, ten and zero after the win against Temple. You guys made fun of me last week for how scared I was of that game. Yep. In retrospect, so. yep. In retrospect, yep. you were right. Um, UCF comes away with the victory over Temple. A, I, I would say it was a less than impressive performance. Uh, I disagree, but uh, oh, you disagree. Well, forty-five nineteen, it looks pretty impressive, but. Um, we not we didn't quite get the the wild offensive numbers that we're used to seeing from UCF in this game. Here I am nitpicking a game that we won. Yeah, what are you upset about? Forty five points. points? You're upset <laughs> I'm, about not, I'm not points? upset about forty five points you, on the road in a conference what game. Just, the, what do you expect the offense to do when the defense keeps giving them the ball back inside the inside you, the Temple thirty you know what? yard? You're line. right. You're absolutely right. That was the key to the game. It was it was really a coming out party for the UCF defense, and to me, just in time, right? Because this week, going into USF, you got a team that's that I think can run step for step with UCF offensively, um, especially when it comes to running the football. Um, you know, their top three rushers, USF, have combined for almost twenty five hundred yards this year. But, um, but before we get to that, just really quick, guys, and uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Your impressions off of that uh, off of that Temple win uh, for UCF to get to ten and zero. I was very impressed. Uh, obviously, defensively, uh, I-, I thought it was one of their best efforts of the year. 
Uh, unfortunately, Shaquem Griffin thought it was a six out of ten, but I, I think that just keeps them motivated. See, Shaquem uh, and I are on the same page here, so you know I feel good about that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought it was fantastic. I don't know what you all are watching. Uh, offensively, it was fine. But again, the numbers don't look great because the offense had a bunch of 20 and 30 yard drives because the defense kept forcing turnovers. I thought the play of the game was Shaquem Griffin, a 230 pound linebacker running step for step with a whiteout yep. and picking it off. And the under the underlying storyline of that game is the fact that even though USF played on Thursday and has had two more days to rest for this game, uh, US, UCF got at least a quarter, a quarter plus some of their starters sitting on the bench to rest up, uh, which is which actually a huge benefit going into this week. Elo, go ahead. I agree with Murph. I mean, sometimes you don't, you know, just because you didn't play your quote a game does not mean it was not a big success. I, I thought UCF, UCF, to be honest, it was the perfect scenario. They didn't have to show a lot in the playbook. They played a very vanilla game and they didn't, that's all they needed. Their defense created turnovers gave the offense a short field, and they took care of business quickly against a pretty bad Temple team and got a lot of guys some rest because Murph, and we'll, I'm going to play, we'll, we'll play the clip shortly. Scott Frost, the thing that's interesting to me, and, and he's brought it up now on multiple occasions. He brought it up on the teleconference. He brought it up on the press conference. He's not real thrilled that UCF's got a short week compared to USF who played Thursday night. UCF played Saturday on the road where this game's on a Friday. He was, he's been very open about not happy about that. And I think I agree with you, Merv. I think that's the biggest takeaway is by blowing out Temple, you got a lot of guys out of that game early, get them some rest and kind of prepare for the USF game. I would not even be surprised. They'll never admit this. I wonder because of the schedule, if some, and I think he even acknowledged it a, a little bit in the, in the, uh, in the press. He did. Yes, he I, did. I think some of the staff, is already was working on USF going into the Temple game. Uh, they were. They were already looking ahead. And when the when the team got back Saturday night, some of those coaches went back into the office Saturday night and yeah. started looking at game tape on USF. But still, Scott Frost said today, if this was a Saturday game, that he'd be fine with it. But he kind of implied that he does not like the way this is set up. Does not anything. It was implied that he thought it was a little unfair. But right. getting those guys an extra quarter off really kind of evened it out a little bit, gave them a little extra benefit. Well, let, let's hear let's hear right now Scott Frost here from the press conference addressing what Murph just said there, uh, and uh, you could hear the tone. He was he was very serious when he's like he's not real happy with how this was set up. Yeah, you know if this game was on Saturday, I would have no problem with it. Uh, somebody having a couple extra days because I know Thursday games are going to happen in this league. Um, but it, I, you know, I don't think it's fair to have a team have extra days and, and the other team have a short week. And uh, that really puts us uh, at a disadvantage. But our kids have responded well to disadvantages before. There you go. Mur uh, Jeff, I mean, Fro uh, Murph and I was there. That was one of the things that Scott Frost made very clear in his press conference. He was not happy that USF, the way this – and he understands Thursday night games. He just was not thrilled that UCF had to play a Saturday game and now you got a Friday game in a short week. And I do think that's a factor, and he's got a legitimate gripe. Do you agree? I, I think he's got a gripe. Uh, yes, but also you knew this a year ago. <laughs> you know, the, the game was the games were all scheduled well in advance. It's it's it, I, I'm I'm a little curious as to why it's becoming a factor now. Well, I, we, I, we, for all we know, maybe he wasn't real happy when it came out in the first place. But you know, you're worried about trying to get your team better I mean, at the time. I mean, I'm sure maybe behind closed doors that there was some talk going with the league about this who knows I, I that's a great point you bring up though is like 
did nobody speak up on this maybe in April or March? But yeah. I remember that jumped out to me. That did jump out to me when the schedule came out. But nobody really took it seriously because at the time, you know, we just assumed, hell, we're lucky if we're bow eligible at that time. <laughs> So, you know, now it's a, the the, the storylines have changed completely. So now all of a sudden, every little microscope is very important. Yeah, I I I I think that even with the short rest in comparison to USF, you know, remember they moved that the uh, season opener. Remember because they were concerned about um this uh, the second game with Memphis. Remember that whole deal. So yeah. they did get that move. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't. The players, by the way, they're. They don't care about how much rest no, USF has. But I, mean, I will, I will, I will, I will say this, Jeff. Though, and Murph, you could uh, back me up on this if you agree with this. I think the reason why all of a sudden this has been brought up is when the schedule first came out, UCF was going to have a bye week on October twenty eighth. Well, because of the hurricane, they haven't had a bye week since September. So maybe that's part of the concern that you haven't really had a bye week. You've had to play all these games in a row. And to Murph's point. You know, now you, all of a sudden you're fighting an uh, uphill battle here with a day or two less to prepare and, and to recover. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I mean, if they had had that bye week, we're only looking at maybe them having three weeks in a row of playing games instead of what's now, I think, eight. But it's also just a matter of hindsight and circumstance. Like, I, maybe it wasn't raised because, I mean, I know coaches prepare for every game as the same, but this game is not the same anymore. This game is a championship game. It's undefeated season game. It's a New Year's Day, New Year's Day six, bowl, uh, six bowl game for UCF. So because of the circumstance now of this game, it has, it has made the issue of the scheduling, it is, it is highlighted even more. Um, it's, it's really just a function of the season UCF is having. It's putting more importance on the date, more importance than they really thought this game would have because who the players didn't even think that this game would be like this, be an undefeated UCF team. They said this today. They did not think this team would be that be this good. They knew it'd be good, but not this good. So because they're this good and there's this much running on the game, the the fact that UCF USF gets two more days off becomes that much more important. It's all a matter of hindsight and circumstance. Well, I will say this. So you're right about that. That it's kind of surprising that the players are like you know, man, we we're good. We didn't think. We'd be this good. But that does set up a situation where, like you said, though, Brian, there is more on the line in this game than I would say any game that we saw in 2013. When you consider the fact, A, undefeated season, B, the war on I-4 rivalry, uh, C, Mm -hmm. the Eastern Division title, uh, D, shot at the conference championship, E, shot at a New New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, This is... This is the obviously the biggest UCF-USF game in the history of these two squads playing each other, even bigger than 2013. Uh, is, it, is this the biggest game in the history of Bright, uh, Bright House Network Stadium slash Spectrum Stadium? I don't know. I got to go back to look at Elo's article back early in the year. <laughs> He's had he, some I, big ones there. Yeah, we will have I to go back to it. Thank you. Thank I you for swear. the cheap plug there. <laughs> Eric, yeah, cheap plug. Eric did an article early in the year about the 10 greatest games or 10 best games at Spectrum Stadium or Bright House Stadium, as it was. And uh, this one is going to be in that top 10 somewhere, I guess, depending on the winner or loss. It might go up or down. But, yeah, I think just because of the, the situations and the weight of the game, uh, what's riding on the line and the fact that it's it's a rivalry game, it's the most important game in Florida this week, which is kind of nuts. 
I mean, it, yeah, it well, especially is, when like, you consider that the other game is Florida State in Florida. <laughs> yeah, and that game doesn't mean anything. Like it's this, it, it's this week between Florida State, Florida, and UCF, USF, and it's clear what game is more important, and uh, it's kind of amazing. It's and it's awesome. I, I will give you the answer. Yes, I do think this is the biggest home game in the history of that stadium. Uh, maybe any stadium. I don't care. You could include the Citrus Bowl all you want. I don't know if it's the biggest UCF game ever. I think that's unfair because I think, for example, the Louisville game in 2013 is one of the biggest in the history of the program because if they don't beat Louisville, they never get to the BCS Bowl game. Yeah, but that was a road game. Bowl. Yeah, I'm just saying because, for example, I think this is the biggest game in the history of the USF football program. This is the closest they've ever been to a conference championship. I don't know if this is necessarily UCF's biggest game in program history because they've won conference championships. They've played in Fiesta Bowls. True. But I do think it's the biggest game in the history in Spectrum Stadium. I've talked to some people today. Obviously, I was on campus with Murph for the media day and things. And uh, when you look at the history of Spectrum, just from a, a, a ticket standpoint, from a pricing standpoint and a demand standpoint, there's five games that have really stands out from an, uh, the Texas game, which was the first game in the history of that stadium. Uh, the Miami game in 2009 had a lot of demand. That was a packed house night game. The Canes were like a top 15 team in the country. And it's Miami. As you know, there's a lot of Hurricane fans. Um, and I think South Carolina 2013 had big demand uh, for that game. And I think this game is right there with it. Like, I was just talking to some people. I mean, trying to get a ticket right now online, it's anywhere between 80 to 150 bucks, depending on what seats you're looking at. So uh, it's the biggest demand. And I think it's the biggest game from this standpoint. And I, and I don't mean this just because I know you both are Yankee fans, but I, I, you don't want to be the 04 Yankees. You don't want to be the 96 Florida State Seminoles. And what I mean by that is as great as UCF's year has been, guys, if they lose this game to USF, they become the team that let USF play for their first ever conference championship game and probably let them win the conference title for the first time. And as great as this year is, it kind of takes a hit. It's kind of like the Yankees in 04. They had a great year. They won the AL East. But all everybody remembers is that they were the team that let the Red Sox win the American League pennant and win the first World Series since whatever. And I think that's what's at stake for UCF. Where because they this is the biggest game for USF and now one thing I will say whoever loses this game it will be the most gut wrenching uh, devastating loss in each respective program's history whoever loses this game. Well, I, uh, I we do have some news on that front. Uh, three hours ago, UCF released that the game is officially sold yep. out. Uh, there are not the only things re- remaining is nine hundred student tickets remaining. The last day to get them is Tuesday at the Spectrum Stadium box office, but the game is officially sold out. Uh, we've got uh, one other thing. Oh, Scott Frost mentioned that uh, he, the team is going to stay in a hotel on Wednesday and Thursday night. They're going to have Thanksgiving together instead of everyone driving all over the place for Thanksgiving. Um, he said that the team is willing to sacrifice one Thanksgiving day to accomplish their goals this year. Um, so, yeah, they're for real. Um the uh, and uh, and yeah, like we said, this is going to be yeah, the the everybody's locked in at this point. So, uh, oh, that was the other thing I want to mention. So the line in this game <laughs> uh, started out. Uh, this is according to OddShark.com. Opened at nine and a half. It has jumped to eleven in favor of UCF. Wow. Over under is sixty four. What do we make of that? 
I think it's I think it's high for a rivalry game. It's you know you can throw the records out when it's a rivalry game. You can look at USC and UCLA this weekend or Stanford Cal. Both those games were close. Uh, USC is much better than UCLA, and that was a close one-score game. I, I really think this is going to be a one-score game. I'm surprised the line is that big. Not that I don't understand it. I understand it because if you look at USF over the last month, they've had some close games, some games where they were leading big and then let the opponent catch up to them, or that game against Tulsa where they really didn't play very well. And USF and UCF, for the, major, for the wide majority of the season, has basically dominated opponents, but... For a rivalry game like this, I think it's going to be a one-score game. I don't know, man. I, th- I think the Sharps know something. What do you think, Eric? Well, I think, look, I I kind of agree with Murph in this standpoint. Yes, if you go based on trend and the whole year, absolutely UCF's the better team. They, they've been the more dominant team, the more consistent team. So, And honestly, UCF's blown everybody out except for two games, which was at Navy and at SMU. So if you believe UCF's going to win – and the way USF looked against the two-win Tulsa team and against the you know some bad teams they played, in theory, yeah, if UCF will probably beat them by double digits. But to Murph's point, rivalry games, you almost have to throw out trends throughout the year. It's almost like a different season in itself. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, Murph was mentioning he was just watching last year's game. People remember, forget, last year's game, going into the game, everybody assumed USF was going to destroy UCF because uh, UCF was struggling. You know, they, they were kind of sputtering on offense. You USF were kind of coming was, off that loss to Tulsa, too. Right, and, right. USF was clicking on all cylinders. This is the best USF team ever, you know, and they have a chance to win. The, you know, and, and, and it, really, what it, was, it was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter, right. and UCF turnovers kind of killed them, and Marlon Mack killed UCF. So I agree with Murph in that I, I understand the number why it is, because UCF right now is just, you know, people saw USF struggle against Tulsa and everything, but I actually think this works – to USF's favor, because think about this: how how you know these two schools are ninety minutes, uh, ninety miles apart, and have completely changed their kind of their their role in this game in ninety days. Ninety days ago, if we were having this conversation, we'd probably be talking about USF being the undefeated team, being a top fifteen team, trying to get to all access ball, probably being a ten point favorite against the UCF team that people didn't know how good they would be, and now ninety days later. They flipped the roles. I do wonder, and I want, I want your, both your opinions on this. Mm-hmm. USF had a lot of pressure going into the year. They had high expectations. They, 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 you know, they, it was boom or bust for their program. They've never won a conference title. They had, this was the best team they had coming back, everybody back and all that. Charlie Strong, yada, yada. Uh, UCF really didn't have expectations going into the year. Uh, now, all of a sudden, USF's almost the underdog in this game. It's, it's maybe the first time all year USF's been an underdog, and people are not going to pick them to, to win this game. I would say the, the majority will pick UCF. Could that work to USF's favor? Oh, yeah. And, 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 and does UCF maybe, you know, I'm curious how these guys will handle the pressure now that, hey, everything's on the line here. I do think that all the pressure in this game is on, is on UCF because of the added, the added, you know, undefeated New Year's Six Bowl game on the line. Um, you know, USF can come in here. They're like, look, we, we you know, we're, we, I, I would feel a lot better about this if USF had not lost that game to Houston at home and they came in here undefeated because then, then that equalizes the pressure on both teams. But right now, because, you know, it, it, you're fooling yourself if you don't think that, that, that the players in some respect feel that pressure, uh, to go undefeated and the coaching staff too. Um, weather, I wanted to talk about that real quick. Um, there is a chance of showers, a 50% chance of showers during the game. 
Uh, well, should be in the mid seventies, upper sixties, mid seventies potentially. Uh, any chance that that might be a factor? Slippery, no. slippery footballs. Slippery footballs cause well, chaos. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's Florida. I mean, there could be a shower. It could be whatever. I mean, we don't know yeah. how big of a factor. But what do you think, Murph? I want your opinion on that. Do you think USF maybe plays better now because they they're not dealing with the expectations and the pressure they've been dealing with all year now? Although I disagree with Jeff, I think there's still pressure on USF because this is the closest they've ever been to a conference title, and that was their expectations this year. But I do think there is something to be said that for the first time all year, nobody's going to pick them to win. Yeah, but I think for UCF, for, I, mean, I mean, USF's going to use that as motivation because, like, underdogs underdogs will always use that as motivation. No one expects us to win, so let's go out there and have fun. Nobody and play, believes and play, in us, right. Yeah, Play lose. And, and, you know, we, we hear that. I mean, if that, if that was true every time, the Browns would be 16-0. and 0. So, I mean, UCF, UCF has been favored every game. They'll be favored again. It's kind of, it's not exactly the same pressure as last week. What's interesting is that last week they could have lost and still been conference championships. There's even more pressure now because everything that you, all of the big accolades, I mean, you know, the undefeated season, the conference championship, the division championship, the New Year's Day Six Bowl, all of it is gone if you lose this game. But I think that Scott Frost has this team so focused and so under his spell. Uh, I just don't see them really being uh, enveloped enveloped by the moment. I, I really, I mean, we would have seen that already against other teams, but this team doesn't seem to to stutter. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. No, I, that's that's a fair point. I mean, uh, they've been a loosey goosey bunch, and I do think is one of the keys to this game. I think if UCF get the if UCF gets off to a fast start like they tend to do. It could be it could snowball for USF because I don't believe guys that Quentin Flowers can beat UCF with his arm. I think he could beat him with his legs and a mixture of maybe slight his arm. But if USF falls behind, it could be a long day for them. Whereas I think USF, it's critical that USF tries to get off to a good start and then maybe control the the line of scrimmage with the running game. I think that's one of the things I'm going to look for early on. Can UCF really jump on USF and really put the pressure on them and say, go ahead, Quentin Flowers, try to come back with your arm? Yeah, I yeah, think that, I, I oh, go ahead, and Murph, I'm sorry. No, no, go nuts. I agree. I was going to I agree with that. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, th- that it is, the, it is the running attack for USF that's going to make the difference because when you take a look at UCF, their one weakness, I think, right now on defense is against the run. Uh, where they're giving up 155 yards a game, and USF's offensive strength is the run. Like we said, yeah. you know, they, their top three rushers are combined have combined, including Flowers, um, have all combined for just shy of 2,500 yards this year. They're eighth in the country in rushing offense at 276.9 per game. However, we've seen what UCF can do against good rushing offenses, and what they did against uh, Navy. Although they had the break with uh, Zach Ab getting injured in that game, but still. You know, UCF was able to take care of business against a pretty good running team and a team that really does predicate against the run. I think that the dual threat thing with Flowers is going to be a problem. Um, and and maybe they un- maybe they unleash him in this game. Who knows? But um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm Flowers makes me nervous uh, again. I think the uh, I think back to the 2013 game at home and the and UCF should have blown USF out in that game. The problem was 
they had two turnovers deep in the offensive yep. end that kept USF in the game in the first half, and then you give them a little shot of momentum, and then and that USF team was not as good as this one. I think you have to stick with your MO if you're UCF of get on the board early and get on the board often. Score seven on your first drive, get a stop, get the ball back, and score another seven. Put the put the fear of God into them right away because if you if you give them a little bit of hope, and I thought we saw that at the very beginning of this Temple game, if you give them that little bit of hope, then they're going to try and fight back. And this is kind of, this is a much better team, obviously, than Temple was last week. And that's where UCF tends to get into trouble. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I, I do agree with that. I, I but I, Murph made the point earlier. You know, rivalry games. One of the reasons why you can't really depend on the trends of all years because these games are so emotional that it's almost like a roller coaster. There's going to be ups and downs, and it's how you handle the emotion really is just as big of a part. And 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 this is a thing: penalties, personal fouls, uh, t- you know, things like that, trash talking. You know, both teams at times this year have been penalized a lot. Holding calls. Uh, those are some things to keep in mind because part of the key to success here that uh, UCF's had this year is getting off the field, stopping teams on third down, keeping drives along. If UCF offensively has some three and outs, and now all of a sudden USF can maybe milk the clock and kind of try to wear down UCF defensively. Vice versa, if UCF's defense can you know get USF off the field. Now all of a sudden UCF's offense is on the field more and they get to attack a USF defense. So um I think emotions and the roller coaster of these games, I always, that's why you can't go based on the trends of all year long because there's so many plot twists that happen and turnovers are another factor in that. Maybe sometimes you're, you're trying to do too much because it's a big game. Uh, and these kids know each other. They know each other back and forth at Murph. And, and, and that's why sometimes you're right. I think you sometimes you just can't really go based on what you've seen with your eyes. You're almost. Uh, you're going to see some things that maybe we haven't seen all year. And I agree. I could see Quentin Flowers, for example. It would not surprise me if Quentin Flowers ended up with 15, 20 carries in this game. Yeah, that's probably going to happen, too. Um, you know, I'll just say this. This is a really mature but young UCF team. Is You look at their offense. There's so much young underclassmen talent, but those guys are are really mature and self-motivated. This is going to be the easiest coaching week up until game day that Scott Frost will have. This team is motivating itself because of how last year's game ended, uh, the things they want to improve from weeks ago. This team is never satisfied. They keep saying it over and over again. They're never satisfied. They're disappointed in certain things in their game. I think this team knows what's on the line. They're not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. I think last year's game is going to be in the back of their minds as a measure of revenge. Uh, I, I really don't think, even if they get down like 10 nothing, I don't think this UCF team is going to lose its head. Um, and I think it's because this group of players is, is really focused, really self-disciplined in a way that it leads itself. It really doesn't need the coaches to lead them more than we've seen. Like This team is really all about... like taking accountability for themselves. And it's been pretty amazing to watch for a team that really has a ton of freshmen and sophomores. Speaking of leaders, Shaquem Griffin had hit. I thought he had his, you know, he was the star on defense last week with the pick. He's the guy who's going to have to be the spy, if you will, on Quinn Flowers. And he's going to have to have a good game here. You guys talked to him earlier today, guys. What did he have to say about, uh, about the situation that, 
he now takes on with this defense against USF right now. Here's Shaquem Griffin from earlier uh, today at Media Day. How fast did you guys have to get to work off the plane with such a short week this, this week? I mean, even before we got to the game, we already already knew that we were going to have a, a quick start. So we was already ready and mentally prepared for everything that was going to be coming at us. And, you know, it was a short week for us. You know, we were, we were well prepared for it. The offense, they got a lot of speed. But, you know, our defense got to match their speed this week. And I feel that we got a, a good personnel that, you know, can can withstand the speed at USM. I mean, it's... It's, it's more of a just excitement for us, you know. When it comes to a rival week, you, know, you, you got to love that. And, you know, we, we, we're going to enjoy, you know, we having fun while we're out there. And, you know, we make sure that even going to the scout team, you know, we bring, we bring them up today. We're talking about we got to make sure we go fast the entire time. And, you know, we're not in it just alone, you know. We, we need you guys to go hard. We got to go hard. We got to be ready for everything that's going to be coming at us. And, you know, once everybody on the same page about practicing hard, we're going to be really good coming to this year. It came out and you saw USF as the last university with such a great schedule. You had to think that maybe this would be a learn to take home game, possibly. So you've been looking forward to this game maybe for like four months, possibly? I mean, we already knew we were getting back to the end, but you know, to be honest, I wasn't really worried about USF at the point. I was just focused on the games that was in front of us, and I think the, it's a good thing that we did that because it made us more prepared for each game we played in. So we had to withstand some really good teams this, this oh, season. Awesome. USF is going to be nothing withstand. What do you think about Quentin Flowers, our quarterback? Oh, really good player. Really good speed, good vision. So we got to be really prepared for him this weekend. You know, Coach is doing a really good job with making sure we have good schemes for him and you know, making sure that we play our keys, make sure we trust each other on the field. You guys have faced a lot of tough mobile quarterbacks. Do you think he's going to be the best one you guys have faced? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough to, to answer that because all the quarterbacks we're against has been really good and guys have really good feet out there and Quentin Flowers is just a, another the guy with really good feet, and we got to be the most prepared for him. There's a chance you have to play for a championship later on, playing in New Year's Day Bowl. There's a chance for that. Does this still kind of feel like the biggest game right now? Oh, yeah, this, this, this is definitely going to be our championship. You know, that, that's that's the mindset that we have right now, and that's the mindset we can stay with. There you go, Shaq Griffin from the uh, Media Day session. A lot to say, and, and people may forget, this is his senior day, Murph. But it's also, he's from the area, he's from the Tampa area. And in fact, Sports Illustrated, I know, did a feature on him and talked about how, you know, why he didn't go to USF, for example, uh, because, you know, he wanted him and his brother were all in it together. And they only offered Shaquille and not Shaquem. And uh, this is an emotional day, I think, for him, Murph, don't you think? Not just because it's senior day, but against who it is and what's at stake, but um, is a guy that's really uh, become a national story for a lot of people that have uh, follow his story yeah and he wants to finish the job uh and like i said he knows guys on that team he grew up with some of the guys on that team he ran track with some guys on that team uh so it's going to be very personal but that, that you could tell that story a lot of different ways on this roster there's a lot of guys on this roster from uh, from tampa area and other you know close to the hillsborough county but for shakim this is really sort of like the finishing the job. I, I think they've they've come too far, and he really is one of those guys that keeps this squad very focused. Uh, he's I mean, obviously really emotional, a huge team leader emotionally in that locker room, as well as being a teacher. He talked about it back in August, talking about teaching the young guys in the secondary about where they need to be and and making sure they trust themselves and trust their keys. Like he is such a teacher, and and really has been um, the face of this program. And that interception he had, if he if he was up for the Heisman. That interception was his Heisman real play. Was that good? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm expect. You know, he's kind of. I feel like he's 
heating up in these last few games. I think that the I think that earlier in the season, the first half of the season, I think offense is really keying on him. Uh, I think that he has figured out how to get around that, and now we're starting to see him make plays. Uh, he made. He, I know that he had a key play in the in the UConn game late um, with a with a sack of their quarterback, and obviously there was the pick yesterday. And I felt like it was it was fun watching him. Uh, be all over the place once again. So uh, yeah, this is boy, well, this is what, what a matchup this is going to be on on Friday. Well, what's funny? Oh, what's fun, What's amazing to me, Murph? You caught the wind of this. You know, Shaquem Griffin. I think everybody was looking for that soundbite from him. That big. He wasn't the uh, the Tampa native from the team that had the like the big sound bites about this rivalry, wasn't it? You were surprised by one of the other players was really uh, fired up for this game. Aaron Evans, uh, going back to last year's game, offensive lineman Aaron Evans, Aaron Evans from Hillsborough County. Uh, Aaron Evans uh, said, you know, he's representing the 813, but he bleeds black and gold. And said from last year's game, when, when USF scored, they were already by 10, scored with 18 seconds left in a game that they were already by two scores. And uh, Aaron Evans called it a straight, just called it a disrespect. He called it a disrespect today. And, uh, and they had not, a lot, and he's not the only one. A lot of the players on this team have not forgotten that game, and uh, they will be remembering it when they take the field on Friday. Did you you watched it? Now you said you just finished watching that game. Do you yeah. do you think they're right? Do you think they uh, was, was that a valid uh, disrespect? Do you think it was hey they tried to run up the score? Do you think it's a misunderstanding? What do you think uh, based on those comments? Because you just watched it. Absolutely. I mean, you could always say this, and this is this is there's two ways you can look at it. One, you can say, well, look, you're a you're a defense. Why don't you just stop them? You, you don't ha- <laughs> they don't have to score. Why don't you tackle them before they get into the end zone? Uh, the problem is there was no need at all for USF to run the play. There was 18 seconds left. The play clock had yet to start. So there was 40 seconds on the play clock and 18 seconds on the game clock in a 10-point game in the fourth quarter. And they decided to run a play from the one-yard line and scored a one-yard rushing touchdown. They didn't need to do that. They could have just gone to the sidelines and shook hands and the clock would have run out, but they didn't. And because they didn't, uh, there are th- th- everybody has remembered it. I mean, Scott Frost said we don't really think about it. You know, if the guys serve some sort of motivation from it, that's fine. But there are coaches on that staff who, who, who vividly, vividly remember that play. And it will be brought up all week. The players the same way. It's going to be something that I look forward to asking them about after the game, especially if they win. Yeah. Well, here's it, it. And we'll put a bow on this for right here because we're going to ha- going to have to take a quick break here in just a second. But um, yeah, I, I love when the coaches always say, well, you know, we, we aren't really thinking too much. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, I know you have to say that, but yes, you are. And the, and the, the assistant coaches are thinking about that. The players are thinking about that. And I know that we, the fans, were thinking about that, and we're thinking, oh, oh boy, wait till next year, man. We're going to remember that. So this well, is the man, second time, by the way, that this has happened in, the, in this game between these two, ty- these two teams because you think back to 07 when Jim Levitt ran up the score on UCF uh, in, the, in that ill-fated game in Tampa. Um, it seems to be a recurring, a recurring situation here amongst USF. I don't know why they, tend, they feel the need to do that, but... Well, I guess they this do. is the thing. Here's the thing. Willie Taggart is no longer here. He's at Oregon. So that's the interesting yeah. thing. Is this Charlie Strong must be like, why are you mad at me about that? <laughs> now, now Taggart, it, for full disclosure, said after the game, because I was there, he said that the reason they did that was because the, the, the running back that was on the field was like, 
a senior that hadn't played and that they wanted to give him a carry. Uh, it wasn't baloney. like Marlon Mack was on the carry. Well, I'm just explaining it. I mean, uh, that's what happened. I remember I was on the field. I, we were all kind of surprised, but it was interesting. I am. It was, it was interesting to Murph's point. I was surprised that that was brought up today by the players, and clearly that's on their mind. And clearly, does that suggest, guys? Let me ask you this: Does that suggest that if we're, let's say, it's in the fourth quarter in the similar situation, is UCF going to run a play then? No, mm. you know, I don't okay. think they will. I I, okay. they, I, I would I like to think that Scott Frost would not be that kind of guy. That's how I'm going to f- couch that. No, I th- I'll flat out say that will not happen. Okay. But, no, that's fair. But that's let me t- but let me tell you something. They're going to try and hang fifty in this game. Let me tell you that they're not going to you know they're, they're not going to let up. So um, there's some uh, you know there's there's some they're they're going to try and score uh, some brownie points with the committee too. By the way, who um, you you kept UCF at fifteen this week. Um, USF is uh, not ranked in the uh, in in the uh, college football ranking. Uh, in the college football playoff, they're 22nd. UCF has bumped up to 13th. And in the AP poll, in the coaches, U- UCF is 12th. Uh, USF is are they, I, 19, wait, aren't 19th. They? That's right. I didn't see them there for a second. Um, in yeah. the CFP rankings, which is the one that everyone gets mad about, uh, UCF is 15th. Uh, and USF is not ranked in the. They're co- not ranked. Yeah, as of the, as of this CFP recording, so. obviously the next one will come out Tuesday night. Right. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might right. change, may not. Who knows? Real Memphis quick, is before, still hanging around and ranked, and you know. Oh, hey, by the way, yeah. Oh, yeah, by the pretty- way, that by the way, the Western Division champions already. So yeah, they beat SMU uh, to do that. Before we go to break, let's hear from Scott Frost, and then. USF's coach, Charlie Strong, both talking on the teleconference for the American Conference about the importance of this game and the rivalry in the state. Well, this state has the best high school football in the country, and, and I've been all over the country and seen it, and, and I don't think it gets any better than this. There's there's talent everywhere. There's speed everywhere. And uh, that has certainly helped us turn this program around really quickly. Um, you know, I... We, we can get good players in this state. Um, you know, speaking for UCF, you know, this is an unbelievable college town with a huge campus and every major a guy could want. And it really has everything that you could want in a school. And um, I think when you pair that with the fact that there is so much talent right around here, um, it makes this a unbelievable uh, university and football program with uh, unlimited and untapped potential right now. Well, you look at two programs that are uh, both of them are in the state, and like I said, they're they're so. Uh, you're looking at right down Interstate Four. You both both schools set, and uh, two of the two largest schools that within the state. So in the, we're in the same conference, so it's it's great. We play each other every year, and the, the rival has been has been uh, it gets bigger and bigger because the better your the teams are, the the bigger the rival is, and the better the game is. So. You know, with the two teams, with us having the, them being undefeated, us having the one loss, it makes this this what makes the game so much bigger this this year. Good. How about that, Charlie Strong? Which is interesting. Charlie Strong's got a history, guys, as you know, with UCF, which really has nothing to do with USF. This goes back. Ironic. I mentioned earlier that Louisville game. Well, Charlie Strong yeah. was head coach at Louisville game, and people UCF fans still remember that comment he made 
after the fact that, well, the better team didn't win that game, which I still think bothers a lot of UCF people. So um, it's interesting in a, in a day and age where we talk about these rivalries, coaches don't stay long. I mean, Charlie Strong has definitely got his detractors uh, here from UCF people. So, uh, But, it, it, again, we talked about how this is the biggest game in the state. You know a lot of recruits are going to be watching this game. Uh, and, and the talent pull. You heard Scott Frost. How about Scott Frost pumping up the campus and everything for UCF? Sounded like a guy who wants to stick around, no? Uh. Uh, your lips to God's ears, huh? Well, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come back to haunt him. All but, right, let's, uh, let's, ra- let's wrap it on this before we go to break, guys. Uh, let's do pr- little score predictions. Brian, I'll start with you. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will go 35-28 UCF. Ooh, tight wow. All right, so so UCF uh, wins, USF covers. Okay. I do think it'll be a one possession game going into the fourth quarter. I do think UCF UCF will pull away. I think it's kind of like last year's game in a way, where USF hangs around. I think it's a one possession game. UCF forces a turnover late. They score UCF, and then UCF adds a nice little touchdown at the end to win by like seventeen. How about that? Okay. I'm gonna go. Give me a score, Eric. Give me a score. Uh, what was the score last year, Murph, since you watched it? <laughs> 48-31 was last year's score. All right, let's flip it. I'm going to flip All right. it. Let's go with uh, 48-31 UCF. Let's flip go, it around. Turn around, baby. I'm going to go uh, 45-31 UCF. I think wow. that's it. Uh, so, so, so both, we all, of, you have, <laughs> yeah, both we, of you have UCF covering the 10 and a half. Winning and to, covering. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. which I know, but I think it's a misleading game. I think it'll be a good game, but it, yeah. but it kind of pulls away legs. I mean, sometimes the score doesn't tell the whole story. I don't think it's a blowout by any stretch. And uh, I, I look, I mean, this is going to be as a, I, I think it'll be one of the most intense emotional games in that stadium's ever been has ever seen. Does Frost get another unsportsmanlike penalty? Oh no, yeah, <laughs> I think somebody yes. will. I somebody will. I don't know. Well, we're going to have our share of them. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. So, I, there's no doubt. well. Well, listen, I, I I do hope that the environment, both between the lines and outside of it, is clean for both uh, for both squads. Um, Three thirty p.m. on ABC. See, this is what we've always been waiting for: national television audience on Black Friday uh-huh. at three thirty p.m. ABC, not ESPN, not on cable. This is going to be oh, this is going to be over the airwaves on free television. So, uh, what a way to. Um, to, yes. to get this rivalry uh, in the tel- uh, on the television sets of uh, millions of people uh, the nation over, so hopefully they'll be done with shopping by then, and you know you can by the way crack open some the- uh, some yeah. leftovers and uh, watch the game. By the way, Adam Amin, my good friend, will be calling the game. One of the best play-by-play guys out there. He'll be calling the game with Rusty Dvorak, former Oklahoma Sooner, mm-hmm. and Molly McGrath down on the sideline. You know, I might sacrifice my my seat in the press box, Murph. You could have the seat. I'll just go ahead and hang out with Molly McGrath and stand down on the field. I'll do that sacrifice for you, buddy. If that's what it takes, I'll be a team player. Oh wow, that's really it's a courageous, the courageous thing you've done there, Eric. I, actually, that might be great because from the sounds of it, we might have like a, a fire, uh, yes. a fire alarm emergency in that press box. Oh, we might have, we might have uh, need the fire marshal to come out and clear some space. That's what it's it going like to be. Yeah, it's going to be a packed, be packed press box. Spurrier's going to be there. That's what I hear. The all ball coach, ball coach kid is, is on the coaching there, yeah. staff for USF. There, my friend Andrea Adelson from ESPN. We'll be covering the game as well. She'll be there, among others. So you're right. It's going to be packed. And something to keep in mind, Jeff, you brought up the TV deal. This is a big game for this rivalry 
from an exposure standpoint and how it does from a television rating standpoint. I've talked to Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the league, about this. This is the showcase game they want for the league. Uh, the last two years, the American Conference has had games in, on Black Friday. They had Houston and Memphis last year. They had Houston and Navy for the Western Division title two years ago. Both those games drew 3 million viewers. 3 million viewers, to put that in perspective, that UCF-USF Black Friday night game in 2013, which is the highest rated UCF-USF game, did 1.2 million. So I think this is a big game to see if people are interested in this game. I think if this game could get 3 million to 4 million viewers, I think it's a huge success for all parties. And it shows that, you know what, we have confidence that this game can draw. It'll be going up, ironically enough, against Nebraska and Iowa, among other games, because that'll mm. be the Fox game. So those are some of the TV aspects of this game. And, you know, because all that talk we had about the big markets, Orlando and Tampa and things like that, this is a show me kind of game from a viewing standpoint for the executives and everybody like yeah. that. And, and and you talk about TV and lead-ins. UCF's lead-in is number three Miami at right. Pitt at noon on ABC. Mm. So nice. it's setting up quite nicely for uh, for UCF to have uh, a really good television audience coming off of that game. I, I'm kind of hoping that that game stays close because if it's close, you're going to get a lot of people kind of tuning in toward the end. And then they're going to dive in on UCF and USF right after that when they see how crazy it's going to be. So 3.30 p.m., ABC, be there or be square. Uh, and, uh, yeah, at least UCF is favored by 11 points. Murph, you're going to be there. Uh, Eric, you're going to be there. I, unfortunately, will not because I have an infant ooh, to take care of. Ooh, but, ooh, but, oh, but. Oh, but me. I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm but, a father. But I will be. <laughs> I am a father. Man, uh, you're blaming the kid, man. Come on, I you got to do better than that to blame I, the kid. The I, kid had nothing. Come on. But I will be monitoring the television broadcast, and we will be the three of us. We will be live blogging the game uh, on Black and Gold Banner. If we have room, if we have room, Murph's not joking. If we have room, we might. For all we know, we could be. I don't know where we're going to be put, but it'll it'll be somewhere. Uh, that'll well, be interesting. Well, maybe that's where we'll blog from. Like. We might have to like Murph might have to use my back to type. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I I have a I have a seat. It's on wheels. I have a desk. My desk is called my lap. It's kind of how it rolls when you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> That's you're, you're, true. You're, you're you're portable, Murph, is what you're saying, right? I'm you, I, I, I've said I've said all week. I'm like the freelance safety. I'm like Ed Reed. I'm just out there uh-huh. moving around. You know, wherever you need me, I'm out there. It's he's, it's valid point. He, he's got well the big the big advantage there is he's got a first step. He's got the first move ready to go to get that media the media spread, whether it be yeah. the lunch or it be the halftime dessert. You know, that's big. That's huge advantage. Yeah. Good stuff. I bring up, I bring up I bring up the handicap sign. They gave me lunch. I get to the front of the line. Get to the front of the line. It's like an amusement. It's like an amusement park. You wow. said it, not me. <laughs> All right, Murph. Murph, what do you Murph. got going on this week? What yeah, what do you have? You on Black and Go Banner right here? Uh, I've got my game preview coming up uh, uh, on two. I think I'm going to get this done on Tuesday. I get this out on Tuesday because yep. it's a short week, and uh, just looking forward to it. I want to also thank the five Nebraska fans who bought tickets to this game to make it a sellout, <laughs> and so they could come come here and nice. and pray for Scott Frost to come home. Wait, is That's it the same thing. five Nebraska fans that were hanging around the tunnel up in Temple in Philadelphia the, last week? I'm sure it is because I, <laughs> I mean, I know that you know they're going to be there. So yes, I'm. Go, I'm, I'm just assuming that they were going to be there. So I just want to thank them ahead of time to for for helping us fill out the stadium because without them, it it really wouldn't be possible. Yeah, and they're going to stand out. Good thing. Good thing for the, the. It's a good thing for them. We're not playing Houston this week. 
<laughs> All right. Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. He'll be live blogging with us on Friday and uh, and check out his uh, game preview. That'll be coming up on Tuesday. And also check out all the hard work that he's been doing for us with uh, basketball season as well now. And uh, and then, hey, we're right, spring's right around the corner. Baseball's right around the corner, Brian. Uh, it's going to be a busy winter, isn't it? It's, it's lovely. It's going to be great. Oh, boy. It's going to be good. So, <laughs> Brian, thanks again, man. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you, sirs. All right. And stick around. Coming up next, we have our interview with Colin Sherwin of uh, the Daily Stampede. And we'll take a look at all of everything else happening in the world of UCF sports uh, as we go around the horn. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team. Sam and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, fellow Knight fans, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. The real estate market in Orlando has been on the move for some time now, so if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, Sam's got you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give Sam a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit him on the web at samsellsorlando.net. Again, that's samsellsorlando.net. You can also reach Sam on Facebook at facebook.com slash samsellsorlando. Get in touch with the Sam Unger real estate team today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast as uh, our preview of UCF and USF rolls on. Make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and uh, also Black and Gold Banneret, uh, or excuse me, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. So, um, well... Sun Tzu said in The Art of War, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So if you're going to know thy enemy, best to talk to somebody who follows them as well. We've got Colin Sherwin here with you. He is the editor of Daily Stampede, which is the USF site, very fine USF site on SB Nation. And he was here to uh, preview this game and talk about... We had a great conversation. This one went. This one went pretty long, Eric, and uh, it was a it was an excellent, excellent chat between the three of us on sort of the state of the rivalry, the state of the programs from one another's perspective. And I think you guys will get uh, quite a bit out of this, right, Eric? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would argue, yes. I mean, I know a lot of people on this social media, he might be like the, quote, I'll use the wrestling term, biggest heel <laughs> as far as UCF efforts. But no, Colin does a fantastic job yes. covering their USF athletics. He's the guy that I actually tune into to see what's going on over there because he, he covers everything. It's not just football. He does women. He's big women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball. He, he knows that program inside out um, in a lot of ways. He's kind of like Brandon Helwig of UCSports.com plus like us from a broadcasting standpoint. So I'm uh, always interested to get his opinions, whether you agree with it or not. Um, it does make you think. And I think that's the interesting thing. And I think we learned some things here. All right. So without further ado, here's our interview with Colin Sherwin. And joining us now, the editor of the Daily Stampede, part of the SB Nation Network, guy who knows pretty much all things USF and then some. And public enemy number one, as far as UCF fans are concerned, on UCF Hate Week, <laughs> <laughs> Colin Sherwin joins us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Colin, what's up, man? How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. It's, uh, uh, it's we, Christmas we will, in November. We <laughs> it's Christmas in November. Happy Happy Hate Week. Uh, hope all is well for you guys as well. Um, yeah, I, I think this year's it's it feels a little bit different this year. Uh, this is the first time that both teams have been good. And so, you know, I think UCF's a little bit better, but having both teams be good at the same time makes this, you know, it's the best game in the state this year. Who'd have thought that three years ago that this would ever be the case? So, oh, oh, I know. I, I think we always thought that one day it would be like this, but for it to finally happen and the game's on at 3.30 p.m. on ABC on Black Friday and national TV audience and the whole, and, you know, one loss combined between the two teams it's kind of like, oh my God! It's real! It's uh, it's really happening! Is this happening? It's really happening! <laughs> so, yeah, um, and it, and you're right. It do, this one does feel different. Like there's almost a little something kind of ominous about it, don't you think? You know, I, I I get that as well. I think there have been some ominous ones in the past. I mean, I I've, I've been doing this. You know, my my senior year of college was the first game we played in '04. So, um, I had just graduated, and so for me, having seen all of these all the way through. Um, you know, the first one was pretty gross The you know, the uh, UCF fans came over. It was not a fun parking lot. Uh, there was some tension there. Um, obviously in, Oh, what was that? Oh, five, Oh seven. Um, the 64, 12 game. I, my roommate was Rocky, the mascot, and I had to literally drag him away from some UCF fans that were throwing stuff out in the parking lot. Like <laughs> there have been some crazy, insane stories here over the years. Um, so I've seen it get really bad. I don't know if it's going to be that bad this week because I think there's just a little more it's a little more almost reserved and people kind of know what to expect now. And there's sort of like some do's and don'ts out there. Yeah. Um, but the, the dark side to me is more what could possibly happen. Like whoever loses this game, this is one of the, one of the worst losses in program history for no matter who loses. Yeah, that's certainly the same thing on the UCF side, and 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 I think you you join us in you know hoping that like some of that ominousness does not carry over into what we were talking about. I can tell you, I can tell you for sure that it wasn't me who messed with Rocky the Bull. I can't vouch for or Eric. I can't vouch for anybody else. But but it but you're right. When it comes to on the field, this is um, yeah, this is this is as intense as it gets. You know, I just saw today, Colin. The line opened at minus nine and a half. And it's since jumped to minus eleven. I'm looking at oddshark.com wow. to get that. I'm I'm actually surprised at that. Are you? Uh, I was a little surprised. I, you know, I the number I had in my head was seven and a half. Uh, I thought that was about right. I, I I didn't think you'd ever not be able to lay the hook. 
So I, I thought it was seven and a half. When it came out at nine and a half, that didn't surprise me because the difference between seven and a half and, and nine and a half isn't really that much because most games end either on seven or on ten and not in the middle there. So that didn't respect. But when it got to 11, that did kind of surprise me a little bit. But it makes sense. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you know, UCF's offense is just completely dominant this year. Yeah. They really haven't run into any problems. By, even by the advanced metrics, you can argue about the, the strength of their schedule. Same problem USF has, by the way. But when you when you get to that point, like even by the advanced numbers, they're just so dominant that I, I can see why the number got up that high. And usually when the money comes in early like that, it's usually sharp money. So these are guys, you know, the money that comes in a little bit early tends to be a little bit smarter than some of the money that comes in a little bit later in the week. I, I guess they see something out there in, in the, the advanced metrics that makes people think that UCF could really turn this into a blowout. Well, Colin, how much of this is a result? A lot of people nationally watched USF perform against a 2-8 and eight Tulsa team, and you were there, and it was a one-possession game. Tulsa's driving, and I think it's fascinating how 90 days changed. 90 days ago, USF was going to be the overwhelming favorite in this game. They were going to be the overwhelming favorite in this conference, and yet, despite going 9-1, and one, it, it almost feels like a disappointment. Just describe this year. It's kind of been an odd one. Yeah, I, you know, I think USF has vastly underperformed the talent that they have. I think they have tried to fit a square peg into a round hole of Sterling Gilbert and Charlie Strong's preferred offense. However, if you're going to knock the bad, you also have to take the good, which is this defense is with basically a lot of the same personnel, tremendously more talented than last year's. Or excuse me, maybe not more talented, but tremendously more effective. You know, this this was a defense last year by S and P was in the in the triple digits, and you look at it this year and they're in the twenties. Well, with basically the same personnel, that's a huge that's a huge way forward. The downside is is that you took an offense that had basically solved how to win in college football, <laughs> and uh, you know, going into the bowl game last year, they were the fourth most efficient offense in the FBS. You take that away now, and and now they're you know it's so struggling just to even do some basic things, and it looks like it's play calling. Quentin Flowers, who is you know easily the best player in the conference last year, just can't get comfortable, and it's really frustrating to see. And it looks like it's they've tried to take what they do, what was done at Texas, what Sterling Gilbert wants to do, which is you know hurry up and and run power. And, and jam USF's personnel, which is, you know, the same as you guys have, a lot of speed athletes on the outside who can win in space, who want to win one-on-one. And they've tried to jam, you know, and line up tight ends in the backfield. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I think our talent USF can win this game. I just don't think they're going to game plan effectively enough to do it. And well, yeah. Colin, let, let, oh, let's, go ahead, well, let me, let me interrupt, Jeff, because <laughs> I, I want to piggyback on that because – when Willie Taggart left the Oregon and Charlie Strong was hired, the media and my partner included, Ray said, oh, what a tremendous hire. What an upgrade Charlie Strong is. And I was the one, and I will admit, actually, I actually liked Willie Taggart. I've interviewed Willie Taggart many times on the radio, and I don't think he gets enough credit for turning around this program. You can speak better than I can about how the job he did there. But I've said this since day one when you guys played San Jose State. I think you're going you're gonna to miss Willie Taggart, and I think you've missed his play calling and his offensive mind. Am I right on that? 100%. You know, I, when, when Sterling came in here, you know, they said all the right things. You know, in the opening press conference, Charlie Strong got up there and said, 
hey, we may not need this offense to score so fast. We, we've got to give our defense a chance to rest. Paraphrasing. And all of the USF fans went, what are you doing? Do not touch this. <laughs> and it is, it is a system that is so effective. It was beautiful to watch last year. And you were returning so much of it, minus Marlon Mack, obviously, is the big loss. But Marlon Mack and Rodney Adams. But you had so many young receivers, especially guys on the outside who can make plays and win. Why would you upset the apple cart here? Just sort of, you know, steer the ship. Well, I'd and, love to upset now, the apple cart to the tune of 12th in the country in total offense, though. <laughs> you see, this is the problem. So USF is also second in plays run. So you see that total offense number and you go, oh, well, this is fantastic. They're running about 10 more plays a game than they were last year. Last year, they were 64th in the country in uh, total plays per game. Now they're second. That means you're hurrying up and actually getting less yards per play. It's about efficiency. It's not about total. The, the raw number, sure. The other thing about the raw number is last year, USF played the 65th strongest schedule in the country. This year, they're 110. Yeah. And if you look right now at out-of-conference schedules, dead last. Dead last in out-of-conference strength of schedule. So in all of college football. So you're doing the same things. You're running more plays. You're less efficient. You're doing it against less good teams. I think when so, I look at the – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so when you see the raw numbers, people go, yeah, and, and that was actually brought up in Sterling Gilbert's press scrum last week. They were like, oh, you know, we're putting up 500 yards a game just like we did last year. It's a different 500 yards a game. Yeah. And there's just no way to, to say that, you know. And it's very frustrating to fans to hear, you know, the justifications well. Well, we just got to execute better. No, you don't need to execute better. You need to put your players in positions where execution is the only way to win, that you don't have to be perfect, that you can just be good or you can just win one-on-one or find a, find a better matchup. And that seems to be the problem here. Well, to the offense's credit, though, in terms of running the ball, they've gotten almost uh, the Bulls have almost gotten 2,500 yards of total production through 10 games from Quentin Flowers and Darius Tice and Dearness Johnson on the ground. And I really think that that's a, that's a spot where USF can cause some havoc for UCF when you consider that the Knights' rushing defense right now is, uh, is only 55th in the country. If you're sitting there in the offensive meetings, is that what you're trying to pitch to the team is, look, the way we're going to beat this team is on the ground? Absolutely. You, you know, USF isn't going to have, you know, it's a, it's a spread, you know, get wide, you know, have guys lined up almost – you know, on the boundary type of system, but where they're going to win is they're going to win running the football and with spread, with spread concepts, you know, sort of um, some sort of hybrid of some of the Baylor things you've seen, some of the West Virginia things you saw under Rich Rod. A lot of those kind of concepts are how they're going to win. The other way is, is that Quentin Flowers has not really run the ball as a designed runner too much this year. I think that changes on Friday. You want to keep him healthy all year. You don't want him to get hit too much. That's fine. If you're ever going to unleash the beast, though, you got to do it on Friday. And so I, I would expect to see, I would hope to see, a lot more design run from Quentin Flowers. By the way, uh, Colin, as you could tell, Jeff will defend Charlie Strong to the nth degree, whereas <laughs> I am the critic of Charlie Strong. So this is why you notice he's defending the offense, even though I agree with you on the numbers. And you backed it up, and you've talked about it all year long. They've not been the same, and I do think they miss Willie Taggart. But to his credit, and really? you mentioned it, they are much better defensively. How are they yes. much better this year than they were last year? And talk about that front, because to me, when UCF has struggled, it's usually you put some pass rush on McKenzie Milton and try to make him one-dimensional. Can USF do that? 
that is where I think USF can win. I think they can not only get pressure, I think they can get pressure without blitzing. They have been able to get pressure with four consistently this year. I think that'll continue. That that front four, you know, a guy like DeAndre Sonat in the pivot just really jams up a lot of space and just sort of takes over. He's he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's mobile, he's fast, he's strong, and he does a lot of different things to occupy that middle. And that allows the edge guys like Eric Mays, who's you know playing mostly at left defensive end. He you know he's a walk on. And this kid's come in and just, you know, dominated uh, from the left side. So I think that, that USF will be able to get pressure. But again, when you're going against an offense that's as efficient as UCF, if UCF executes, I don't know how much any defense at this level, you know, outside of, of an Alabama, is going to be able to really slow them down if, if, if UCF executes. So if, I think if, if it's best on best, if everybody brings their A game, I think UCF wins. If UCF isn't able to quite get there or has some problems or, you know, Milton makes some bad reads. I've seen him, you know, throw a couple picks this year where I've been like, oh, what are you doing here? If they make a, you know, a couple turnover spaces like that, I think USF can be in the game. But if, if it's best on best and, all, and both teams play to their potential with the system that USF is running right now, I just don't see how they can get over the hump. Now, Colin, let me ask you this. Going into the year, this was the bo- the most anticipated season, I think you would are in your program's history. Uh, expectations through the roof. You were the overwhelming favorite to win the conference. How much is it playing with those expectations maybe has been a cause for maybe this team underachieving? And on the reverse side, they're the underdog this week. Everybody's going to probably pick UCF. Can that now work to your advantage where this team now maybe for the first time all year is playing as an underdog? If you need motivation for this game, you never should have come to college to either one of our schools. You know what I mean? Like, I, I for me, if I, I tend to discount things like motivation and such. And oh, sorry about the car alarm there. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to, I tend to uh, definitely things like motivation, especially in a game like this. Look, USF knew going into the season it was likely going to be a one-game season. You know, as soon as we saw, you know, two or three weeks in that, that UCF was what they have become. It, it seemed to me that that was, you know, pretty obvious. So can I just I think USF has the ability to do this. I think they have the talent. I have seen this offense, you know, with very similar personnel do amazing things. Even this year in spots, you know, you'll see, you know, a Darius Tice get out in space or against UConn. We were really impressed with some of the things USF did. They, they haven't really involved the tight ends in the passing game at all this season. Well, they did that at at UConn and it looked great. They run a, a little screen out for Dernis Johnson in space, who was probably they nicknamed the Swiss army knife because he can do so many different things. Well, they finally put him out on the edge. They had him in there as a blocker. He went out he's, you know, Quentin flowers rolls left. He slips, he falls, he finds the end zone. And as soon as he slips from being a blocker or a receiver, find him for an easy touchdown. These are the type of things that USF can do, but I just, Unless this has all been, and this was actually a theory of mine earlier in the season, which is they're just sort of sandbagging this whole thing. Like they're not going to put too much of the offense on tape until they really need it, until they have an opponent that's going to challenge them. So when Stony Brook gave them a bit of a game in the second game of the season against an FCS, you go, oh, well, you know, maybe they maybe they held back a little bit. And then later in the season when they get challenged again, eh, you know, maybe. And then all of a sudden at Houston, they're definitely being challenged. It's a, you know, a one possession game late. And they're still they're still doing the same things. They're still running halfback dive. They're hurrying up to the line on first down and running halfback dive over and over and over again. So, if you're not willing to <laughs> to put it in, then 
you know, 10 games into the season, what makes you think you're going to, oh, the Leopard's going to change its spots in game 11? Yeah, if not now, I hope when? I'm wrong. <laughs> if not now, when? Yeah, if I've not been asking, now, when? Right. Speaking of that question, you know, in-game attendance has become a cliche for both of these programs. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I've been screaming at the UCF fans all year long about how this is, th- what we have right now this year is exactly what you've been crying for for 15 years from UCF football, and now you're still not, right. and you're still not getting. And, of course, USF has their own issues, too. So I'm interested to find out, you know, from 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 your perspective, because it's not just the fact that USF plays at Ray J. Uh, what is it going to take for people in Tampa to to sit up and take notice of USF? Um, I, that's a really good question, and and I have this argument with some with some current USF staffers off the record all the time, and and the crux of their argument is is that we've put the product on the field and the fans haven't come. Mm. And my argument to them is, I have seen. 67,000 people in that stadium for a USF game. I have seen 50 and 60,000 people in the stadium for a USF game. Um, So the fan base is there. Don't tell me that they don't exist and that they're not out there. I think it's two things. One, when, you know, it's better to have loved and lost, sure. But when you have been in a power conference and then you are no longer in a power conference, it's hard to get people fired up for Tulane and and Tulsa and Navy um, when you're used to play in Syracuse and West Virginia and Louisville and, and, and programs with a little more brand name and cachet. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, is that just college football attendance is down everywhere. You know, even at the bigger programs, like they're, they're struggling, you know, especially ones in metropolitan areas. You know, it's tough. It's tough to compete with TV now. We all got 50, you know, 50, 60 inch TVs with, with color and, and Barca loungers. And so that, that's another part of this. Um, your guys' attendance, and I forget which game it was, um, I saw some crowd shots. It was the weekend of uh, EDC, the, uh, the house music concert. And I had some people telling me that the reason the UCF students weren't out there was because of the um, EDC concert over uh, by Tinkerfield. Yeah. And, and, like, I don't know if that's the case or not, but if, if you can't get people to come to a football game over uh, a concert, your students, when you're undefeated, when you're putting up the kind of numbers that they're putting up, I just I don't know if there is another solution besides yeah. an invite to the Big Twelve. That was the I, UConn I, I game, did. by the way. That was a UConn. Was it was UConn? A, yeah, it was a noon kick. That was our last home game. And you know what? And if you're on campus and they see you see uh, UConn basketball's coming or UConn women's basketball even is coming, you know, students might go out of their way for that. But when you knew you're going in as a 20 plus point favorite, UConn's got very little to no brand name cachet as a as a football program. It's tough in a metropolitan market. You know, I, yeah. I, I would argue there's more here to do in Tampa. It's kind of why I live here. I did go to high school in Orlando. Um, so <laughs> wow. I am biased towards I am biased towards this side, this side of the state. But there's plenty to do in Orlando and it's a growing emerging area. I don't know. It's a it's a tough spot. So uh, I would like to see USF sort of do some things to rebuild the bond of trust with their fans. I think a lot of fans walked away from them um, when things got bad under the, the, the nadir of the Skip Holtz era. Uh, there were some donor issues. There were some, you know, uh, stewardship issues, quite frankly. They, they haven't done everything, you know, tip top, that's for sure. But getting those people to buy back in. And it's sort of like they're throwing the doors open going, hey, we're good now. Come back doesn't really work like that. You got to get out in the community and got to build a relationship. And I don't know if USF has done that effectively yet. 
Do you like this game on Thanksgiving week? And obviously this year it's going to be a sellout. It's packed. It's easy when both teams are winning, you know, combine one loss in the entire year. But you and I have been there the last couple of years where there were a lot of empty seats and because of the holiday weekends. And I've maintained, I think it's important for this game not to be played on this weekend to get the students involved on both sides and maybe play this game a couple of weeks earlier during the conference season. I've talked to Mike Oresco. I understand why they play this game on Thanksgiving weekend. This is the marquee game they want to promote and television likes it. What's your thoughts for the future of this game? Do you like it to stay on Black Friday weekend on Thanksgiving weekend or do you like you think they should move it maybe earlier, maybe get more attention? You know, that's a good question. I, I can I can see an argument both ways. I hadn't really thought of it moving it off of the last weekend of the year. I just I guess I've always assumed that rivalry weekend, you always want to play that last game if you possibly can, unless like, you know, like Stanford Cal, they, you know, Stanford's got Notre Dame next week. So they played they played last weekend. Um, but for the most part, most rivalry games are played on that last weekend. However, I do agree that when you have the attendance issues that both schools do. I think you've got to think about things differently and, and trying to take advantage of um, whatever you can do to to make it not just when both teams are good. Because right now, the last I looked, I think the get-in price for a ticket, the face value is 50 and the get-in price right now is like 100 bucks. So that's fantastic, but that's also not long-term sustainable. And if, if moving that game off of, of the weekend would help get some students involved, maybe we would get more students traveling from one city to the other for the game. That's something that I've always been disappointed by. I, I've always thought that more students from both schools should be making the trip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so maybe if you maybe if you play it at a different time, you'd find a, be, a way to be able to do that. Maybe you shut. Maybe you play it on a Friday night and you shut. You have both campuses agree to shut down that day. You know, I, I was sort of disappointed. USF had a Thursday night game on senior night, and there was they actually held a watch party or attempted to. We after some. Some Twitter blowback, they shut it down, but there was actually going to be a watch party at the sports bar on campus. Oh, come on. For, <laughs> really? the, for senior night. Really? Uh-huh. Really? And so that eventually did get shut down, but like the fact that that's even a thought is just insanity. So, uh, you know, whatever this league has to do to get butts in seats and to make it more of an atmosphere, because I think once you go to a game like this, like anybody who's going to go to this game, anybody who went to the game and what was it, 07, the 07 game? I think we had like 50,000, 60,000 people at yep. Ray J. Yeah. Um, yep. The first one at the Citrus Bowl in 06, uh, I remember, you know, after a few popsicles in the parking lot, I was feeling pretty good. And that was a great atmosphere for football. You know, even though it's a building that's, you know, obviously too big, but it still felt like a real college football game and it felt fun. So whatever they got to do to get butts and seats, I'm fine. And if that means moving it off Black Friday weekend, let's do it. Well, that uh, 2007 Tampa game still set the attendance record for, uh, for this uh, for this series at 65,948. Cool. Uh, since uh, UCF moved to, uh, uh, well, former Bright House Network Stadium, now Spectrum Stadium, uh, you're looking at, you know, we had 46,000, but that since then it's dropped a little bit. But... Supposedly, this game's going to be a sellout. So, uh, so here's hoping that not only is it a sellout, that it's a great football game that can present this rivalry to the national audience on ABC at 3.30 on Friday, uh, and both schools make a good account of themselves as well. So, all right, last question for you, Colin. I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction because I know you're going to say USF 100 to nothing. 
But um, oh no no! Whoa, whoa. <laughs> have you not it, it watched? Was, <laughs> have you not seen my Twitter account? <laughs> Look, man, I, you can you can love and still like not believe. And I love this team. I I want the best for them. I think that they have done a lot of good things this year. But I I also watch college football as just a fan of college football, and I you know I don't see how anyone could in their rational right mind. Um, Take take USF. Who like, says anyone's rational USF, this week? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, do I think USF can win this game? Absolutely. Would I be like stunned in Florida if they did? Not really. I mean, it's definitely a winnable game. But if this game gets played a hundred times, from what I've seen so far, I don't see how many you know USF wins out of that hundred. So all right. Yeah, so I, so I, let me uh, flip yeah, it. For, let me, sorry. Let me flip it then for you. All right. So okay. does uh, does USF cover? And what's the television rating? Ooh. Wow, the rating. That's a really good question. I think it does really well in the state. Um, you know, I saw last week that Miami's ratings this season are like through the roof yeah. um, in that market. So they look like they've, they've got everybody bought back in. I'm stunned that Miami is a bandwagon town. would just have everybody just jump right on the bandwagon as soon as they break out the turnover chain and don't lose a game. Uh, <laughs> and quite honestly, that's part of the problem we have in Orlando and Tampa, too. These are, these are event cities. These are cities where... You know, it's there's something going on and there's something to do. You know, like the only team that really consistently draws in this town is the Lightning. And um, so that's a little bit different, too. I, I the rating here, I'll help you out, Colin. I'll help you out with this. The last two years, the American Conference has had uh, games on Black Friday they, on ABC. Houston and Memphis was the game last year. Two years ago was Houston and Navy for the Western Division title. Each game drew three million viewers. Oh, I think we beat that. I'll, I'll say that this one draws four point two. Okay, oh, there you go. I, like I think that. There, I, I think there's enough interest in UCF at this point because they have been, you know, undefeated and pretty compelling. And what I, you know, it's a shame that this game is played on a Friday because, um, I mean, this is a great game for ESPN Game Day. They could come down here and show oh, yeah. the rest of the country what we already see, which is these two schools. They really don't like each other, <laughs> and there's a. <laughs> A long history that goes back to basketball games and baseball games in the in the seventies and eighties that um, that there is a, a definite rivalry here that's been not necessarily over football because I think USF did everything they could to avoid the Knights football wise right. until they got stuck in the same conference with them. But as two schools, they really don't like each other, and I would really like to see that get some more national exposure because I'll put like game day atmosphere this weekend. I'll put it up with anywhere in the country of what it's going to be like on Friday over there. So, Well, you're making my case because yeah. I feel like if this game was played last Saturday, I think ESPN College game, they would have come here. Whereas yeah. on this weekend, it's going to be tough with all the traditional rivalries and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, this is a great rivalry, not just in football. Obviously, women's soccer, I just witnessed it. I call softball, so I've been right in the middle of that one with Ken Erickson, the great job he's done over there and that rivalry. I did want to ask you this. We all know that, uh, that you know every USF person hates George O'Leary. I've seen all the material. So I want to ask you, <laughs> that, that's a very obvious reasons for those. I'm curious because UCF fans hate Matt Grothy probably and Jim Leavitt are probably the two <laughs> most figures they hate the most. I am curious, okay. who, which UCF player – is the most hated among USF fans? You know, here's the thing. I, I guess because USF won those games for the most part, except for uh, Bortles in 13, mm -hmm. I, I and I don't think people really hated Bortles because they didn't play that great, honestly. Um, 
Yeah, there's not really any one specific player that kind of jumps out. Like, you know, I didn't think Kevin Smith was that great. I was kind of surprised he was as good in the NFL as he was. Um, so I, I always thought Kevin Smith was a little bit overrated. I, I was, I, I thought Bortles actually, believe it or not, I, I thought Bortles was going to be a little better in the NFL. So it shows you how brainwashed I am. Um, so I don't know if there's a player. I think O'Weary definitely sort of takes the cake for various crimes and misdemeanors against, you know, football and other things. Um, I, I would, I would say O'Leary and the stat, the statue just really seems to, I think, rub some people like, you know, USF had a guy that, that certainly made some mistakes, um, in Levitt and deserved to be fired, quite frankly. So they fired him and they would, as much as Jim Levitt did for this program, you'll never see a Jim Levitt statue at USF. And so when that came out, it was just sort of like lionizing this guy who certainly you can, you can't argue the wins. I mean, the Fiesta Bowl was the, you know, the greatest moment in, in, in your school's history, and that can't be taken away. But it, I would think it'd be fair to call it a checkered history, and especially the way it came because, you know, resume and all that kind of stuff. So building the statue, I think, kind of rubs some USF fans the wrong. The other one is having a baseball coach that was fired and fired for an assault still with his name on the baseball field. And I think some USF fans go, really? Really? <laughs> Man. You know, that's tough. And that's tough, I think, for us to get past. Having said that, um, I don't think USF's reaction this week, and this is the first time I've actually had this problem in all the years I've dealt with USF. Um, I, the reaction this week to a player being arrested for sexual assault by USF has been certainly muted, and that has really bothered us. So... I, He's suspended from the program. He's not with the program right now, but it was sort of like, well, can we at least get a statement from the athletic department saying, you know, we take these crimes seriously. We will investigate nothing. We just had to ask Charlie, Charlie Strong in the teleconference today, what's going on with this kid? He said, yeah, well, he's suspended from the team. Three days later, that's how we find out. So that's really been the first time that I think USF has sort of been questionable on on some of the character slash ethical stuff um, on things like this. But I think some USF fans sort of think USF, UCF plays a little bit dirty. And the NCAA, like, you know, I mean, the Ken Caldwell video is one of the greatest things I have ever seen. Like, it is just, it is a, <laughs> it is a moment in time. And, and so I think USF sort of feels like UCF plays a little bit dirty sometimes. I think that's very much less true under Frost and Danny White, though. Like, I think you guys have made two really fantastic hires um, and their leadership has trickled down. Like you, we all have idiots on the internet. God knows USF has plenty of idiots on the internet, but it seems like the idiots on the U- internet for UCF now are just a little bit more muted. You know, we, we see less of them They're, They wouldn't do the Facebook poke thing to Matt Grothy that they did 11 years ago. Um, I think you'll see less of that now. And that comes from leadership and that comes from hiring, you know, a, a guy who's athletic director royalty in this country and a, and a football coach who's handled everything the right way. So, um, I, I, that would be, yeah, it's O'Leary. Uh, I think if you get to the next level, the guys who really know, I'd say Keith Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, there's a lot of well, UCF people that don't like the Tribble either. So <laughs> they're kind of going I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that would, that would be my contention. So that's interesting. So it's growthy and it's Levitt. Is it yeah. Levitt because of, uh, 64, 12 and throwing, yes. you know, on throwing oh, four yeah. verts up 57, 12. Yeah, yeah, partially that and partially what you were talking about with, you know, avoiding UCF for all those years and and uh, and then and then Grothy because he's just Matt Grothy. 
<laughs> well, I like yeah. Matt. Matt's Matt's been uh, good with us, and he's a real nice kid, and uh, he's um. Doing I'm well sure he is. And uh, uh, we're real happy for him. But he Matt definitely had a little needle to him, and uh, he was not afraid to to stick it in where he could. I saw him today right. on Twitter going back and forth with people. Yeah, he was. So, he was. And, Old uh, habits he die never, hard. <laughs> absolutely. He, nope. But he would also say, and I will defend him, that he never lost to UCF. And, no, uh, that's right. That's true. That's right. No, and, and I look, I've always said Matt Grothy is kind of like, and I'll use a wrestling term, he's kind of like Bret Hart when he was hated in the United States and cheered in Canada. I feel Canada. Like <laughs> he was cheered in, he loved in Tampa and hated in Orlando. I, I, that would be the comparison I would make. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and he, you know, he, the 08 game, I mean, he throws that INT um, weight and then we end up in overtime because he just throws the ball for in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, huge mistake, came back and won an OT. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. So it's growthy and it's Levitt. I get yeah. the Levitt. I, I, yeah. yeah. No, I, the one thing that worries me, and I think we both have the same problem because you guys are gone through it and there's always speculation here, obviously, with Frost and everything. That's will coaches be able to stay long enough here to build, quote unquote, a hatred from the other side? Because I think if Willie would have stayed, I think there could have been some more animosity towards Willie and Scott, but he left. So uh, that's, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's Scott. So Scott runs it up. Let's say, you know, UCF gets a big lead this week and they, you know, you know, run four verts, you know, on fourth and whatever up 20 in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I, Scott will be able to point to last year and say, well, USF did it to us. Mm-hmm. But it's like a totally, completely different coaching staff. And I've seen right. Charlie coach, you know, plenty of games and not just here, but previously. He's not the kind of guy who's going to stick the shit in like that. So I agree that's going to be an issue for building a rivalry on for it. It's, it's just going to be a massive problem for the conference until the, the revenue gets better. Um, they've got to find a way to close at least some of the revenue gap between, you know, it's a, if the Big 12 is distributing $35 million a school and you're getting $2.5 million, you're starting $30-some million in the hole, and that's for both of our programs. And, you know, look, I think it seems pretty – Pretty clear that if if you had to, you know, gun your head, guys, is Scott Frost your coach next year? Mm, gun to our head. Uh, boy, based I would on the say, jobs that are open, yeah, I would say, probably, go ahead, Eric, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, based on the jobs that are open at the time of this, I would say the odds are not in favor, right? I mean, right. It, it's going to be tough for him to pass up some of these jobs. And I don't have a problem with it. I'm sure, like, you guys didn't have a – you understood why Willie had to go to Oregon. I mean, Willie – and you know this, Willie uh, was this close to being fired over there. So there, the loyalty can only go so far. It's easy for fans to stay, 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 stay. But as you know, if things go south, they'll turn on you. And I, so I, I think he's he's going to look at his options. And I think a lot of it could depend too on what happens if they win this game Friday and they win the conference. What else is there to, to do, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to go. Like um, the only thing that would hold him back is you know maybe wanting to coach a ball game. But Here's the other thing that, and this really hurts the AAC, the early signing period this year. Yeah. So yeah. let's say, you know, conference championship is what, December 2nd or 3rd? Yeah. Okay. So you win the conference title, you go back, you celebrate with your team, da 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 da. And here comes Nebraska, you know, knocking on your doorstep saying, not only do we want you, we'll pay you extra if you can get in there now so that we can, you know, st- keep some of this recruiting class that's, you know, going to be signing in two weeks. Yeah. And that's going to be another dynamic that's going to change how college football is. I, I think this early signing period is being way underestimated in the national media about how much it's going to change the coaching carousel in the offseason. And quite frankly, it's going to affect both of us. I think, obviously, more people are going to come after Frost than Charlie, at least right now, before Friday. Um, if it plays out as it is, I think Charlie will certainly be a candidate other places, and deservedly so. 
but Frost is probably going to be the number one guy on a lot of lists. So yeah. we'll see. Well, for now, he's the number one guy on our list, and we love him, and we want to keep him as long as we possibly can because it's <laughs> been fun. As long as he wins Friday. As right. long as he wins Friday. If he loses, uh, then no, people turn. That's how this works, you know? It's, it's yeah, so this, this football excellence fund you guys are putting together that I see uh, White tweeting out about all the time, how much, I mean, the goal is like $1.5 How close are you guys on that? They're already. It, it's hard to say because you know how these things are. They usually it, they usually uh, announce the fund, you know, when they already have about fifty percent of the money in the bank, and then they kind of slow roll the announcements right. as they come in. So I'm guessing that they're that they're past the, that that they're already past the halfway mark now. Um, exactly where though? I, I don't know. It's hard to say because you know Danny White is you know to his credit he's done. He, he did. So, he did a pretty darn good job at the University of Buffalo, of all places, and right. and and Bianchi hit it right on the head. He's like, let's just call this what this is. This is the Keep Scott Frost in Orlando Fund. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and, and 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 that may. I don't know how much. Even if they reach the goal, uh, say by it's New 1. Year's 5 Day, million. I know it's nothing. Like the, but, I mean, you're you're paying him two net right now, right? It's it's one. Yeah, it's one, It's an extra one point five mil a year. Here's the problem, though, is when Nebraska or UCLA or somebody else comes in and says, "Here's seven mil a year." Look, we're going to make you say no to that, right? You know, so, so I, you can you can raise money off of that and say we're going to do our best to keep our coach, but I don't see with the the fundraising base of either of our schools, and you know, USF's fundraising is something that I've questioned for a long time, and and you guys. You know, we don't have the, the hard numbers anymore because of your being a DSO and USF not being a DSO. Yeah. But at one point, USF was raising almost two, two and a half to one more dollars per year. Um, that might have completely flipped by now with the stadium and some other different things. But since your numbers are a little bit more, you know, locked up than ours. Um, but UCF has struggled, you know, traditionally to, to raise more money, even though they are a slightly bigger school. Um, I think part of that, too, is USF's, you know, the medical school. Like, I, I think USF's endowment's a little bit, like, twice as big, but a lot of that's medical. Mm-hmm. So um, that changes some things, too. So we'll see. Um, I, I would, of course, I would, honestly, like, for the league, I think it'd be good for Scott Frost to say. Is it good for USF? Not necessarily. <laughs> but it would be nice to see this conference be able to keep a couple of guys. I just I just don't see how it happens. Yeah. No, I agree. And I can tell you that Brandon Helwig, I know your friend and our friend, obviously, UCSports.com wrote over the weekend that the reports are, that he that he's heard that UCF's got an offer for him that will he'll go up to $3 million, up to $5 million a year, even depending on certain things. But even that uh, may not be enough when you're facing off against the Floridas and the Nebraskas and the UCLA's of the world. And the big thing, too, is he wants to take care of his staff. And that's the other thing. It's not just yes. the head coach, it's his staff. And I think people lose track of that sometimes. It's not just about the head coach salary, but what are the assistants making around him? Right. Because, like, you know, you can take in, all right, fine, you'll pay me $3 million a year. You bump my salary 50%. Or are you going to bump my coordinators 50%? You're going right. to bump my wide receivers coach, my film guys? Right. That's, you know, and usually that adds up to almost as much as the head coach makes, if not more. So, yeah, it's a big issue. Well, nonetheless, when Friday comes around, at least we'll be able to not talk about where Scott Frost may end up for three and a half hours. Um, and, it'll be, and it'll be football time. So real quick, uh, Colin, where can, uh, where can UCF fans send hate mail and tweets and all that kind of stuff to you? Oh, that would be at USF Colin with two L's, USF-C-O-L-L-I-N. Um, 
sure, fire him out there. Uh, I have, you know, I've been through this too many times at this point. Fighting with people on Twitter doesn't make a lot of sense. So I, I won't do that. Um, you hear that, Lopez? It's a or- smart move. Smart move by Connor. Right I'll, I'll try to keep that in mind. I'll try to keep that in mind. <laughs> this is not real. It's not worth it fighting, you know, fighting the ghosts on the Internet. Um, if you do want to read some of the stuff that I've written about UCF, I think I think if you Google reasons to hate UCF, I think I'm the first thing that pops up. Um, I wrote that like three, four years ago, but it had good SEO. So, <laughs> it's, uh, Oh, yeah. It's, first thing that pops up, November 27th, 2013. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember that one. Yeah. 25, 25 reasons to hate UCF. And so I would say this. I think I hate UCF less now than I did then because of White and Frost and some changes in leadership. And I think things over there have gotten a lot better. So I, but you know, it's, it's an historical document and it needs to be, you know, <laughs> left out there on the internet forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's, well, it's, it's still gaining traffic and listen, I resent, I, I actually was like, this is such a great hate read, but, uh, but I take issue with this part. And I think as a rule, USF has for the most part played a good host when others have visited us too. And then there's Oviedo. I live in Oviedo, Colin. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I, I would say like it's a great town. Oh, oh, fine. Look, I'm a Boone High School graduate. Like I'm, I know the area. You know, I, I, I get it. Um, for me, it, it just seems like every fan base has morons and droolers. You know, yeah. I went to a West Virginia game. I went to a West Virginia game in 2005, six, 2006. It was the year before we beat him at home. And, you know, we're a big dog. We go in there. We win the game. It's like the end of the season. We keep them out of the BCS. Um, everybody was super nice to me before the game, shotgun and beers and whatever. And then after the game, literally two people tried to fight me in the parking lot because I had a USF jacket on. Like, literally just walked up to me, pushed me, said, hey, man, F you, flipped their finger off my face and tried to fight me because of the jacket I was wearing. Yeah, but that's West wow. Virginia. That's right. And, and so, what, you know, so we – it's West Virginia. Exactly. So I, I get it. Um but it just seems from our experience that the, the interactions we've had with, with UCF fans over the years have been a little more difficult than with some other schools. The other place that's like weird, like ECU. I don't know if you guys have gotten to an ECU game yet. They're, yeah. they're crazy up there. They got a little weird in them. And <laughs> they, get, they get very defensive about their program and, and sometimes to a point where it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, but on the whole, I think uh, – We've had our challenges. I, I hope that doesn't happen this week. And then honestly, you know, two years ago when we went over there, no problems at all. But also, on the other hand, you guys were 0-11. And, you know, I think we all knew what was coming. So um, yeah, when the bad. game means something, yeah, when, when the game means something, I think it'll be interesting to see. I hope everybody behaves themselves. You know, the mall is a great place to tailgate, by the way. And the mall is a great place to tailgate. You know, that's the one thing I hope when USF does get someplace on campus is they've got some kind of green space out there like that to, to go out and enjoy it before the game. Well, good. You know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Colin yeah, Sherwin, of, <laughs> Colin Sherwin of the Daily Stampede, uh, part of the SB Nation Network. Uh, last thought with you, Eric. No, I'm just going to say, in fairness to Colin, I mean, Lee Corso goes on game day, talks about UCF downtown, beautiful downtown Orlando. We're not in downtown We're Orlando. Not there anymore. in downtown. You're not even, cl- you're not even close. <laughs> so know. you know, Oviedo. At least Oviedo's close. So, you know. I, it is still by Oviedo PD does you know oh my uh, my old blog partner Jamie used to make fun of me because I call it Oviedo and he's like it's they're not in Oviedo it's in Orlando and I was like no it's Oviedo so I want I guess this would have been two years ago because it would have been in your stadium so I guess it was two years ago I see a golf cart parked underneath 
um, the bowels of the stadium and it says Oviedo Police Department on it. I took the picture <laughs> and sent it to Jane. I said, I told you we're in Oviedo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I remember, listen, I remember going to the Oviedo Market, uh, like that mall there. That's where Mike Kruzek, actually the f- former UCF coach, used to do his shows there. I actually, I actually got an autograph hat from him in Oviedo there. So, right. Oh, uh, wow. So where are the Georgia Leary? How much do I have to pay on the internet to get one of those Georgia Leary cardboard cutouts to get motivated ones? Like, oh. it is my... It is my ultimate eBay wish. I'm pretty sure somebody would pay you to take it off of them at this point. <laughs> <laughs> is he still coming to games? We see him around anywhere? I haven't seen no, him. I, he's, no. he's, he's got his house up in Palm Bay next door to Steve Spurrier, and he seems to be quite content up there. By the, by, by the way, college, Steve Spurrier is going to be in the house this Friday. Oh, yeah, because his son's a coach at USF. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and some people think he's trying to, like, woo uh, Scott Frost there to Florida. But you're right. And he is. He's got the son, obviously, on staff. So he's already said on the radio he's going to be at the game. Oh, wow. Well, actually, that would be a really good place to try and woo. Um, <laughs> although it looks like they really went after Chip Kelly last night. So we'll see what happens yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Everyone following those airplanes. All right, Colin. Thanks again for your time. <laughs> and uh, safe travels up I-4. We'll see you on Friday. All right? All right, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right, our thanks to Colin. Uh, great conversation that we had with him there uh, as we previewed the game. So there well, you go. Probably, we're, we're all set to we're go here. Nice. We all got along too well. That I was know. weird. It was a little scary. I'm not going to lie. It made me a little uncomfortable at times. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll probably bring him back for other – because, I mean, let's be I – mean, UCF, USF, I mean, have other rivalries and other sports. And right. Like I mentioned, he talks about other sports, so – uh, we'll bring him back. But look, I mean, there were some interesting thoughts and, and kind of good to look back at the history of the rivalry, the hatred, where it came from. And, you know, they're, they're st- from their side, you know, get to hear their side of this going into this game. It was fascinating and uh, um, should be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I could tell you this. I'll give you full disclosure, Jeff. I'm actually hanging out pregame and postgame with the uh, uh, friends of mine's. Allison Keim, who's obviously a former UCF softball pitcher, great, should mm-hmm. be in the UCF Hall of Fame when that returns. Uh, she's married to Pete Trella. They're now the Trella family. He's a graduate of USF. He's a football season ticket holder. Uh, so I've had this tradition. I've actually hung out with them for the last since they got married. I think 2014. I've been going where they've been going to the games together. They have this bet on the side where the loser has to uh, put the winner's uh, flag up on their household. So if UCF wins, the uh, Trella family will have the UCF flag up. If it's USF, it'll be the USF flag. Ironically, the mayors, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. I did see this, right. Go ahead. Yeah, this was great. I thought this was wonderful. Go ahead with that. Yeah, well, they ripped off the idea from them. Now they're apparently (laughs) right. They've made the bet where, like, the loser, like, now the city has to, like, showcase, what, the the flag of the winning team, which was kind of, like, wild. Um, So I'm going to be hanging out with them, which will be unique. Uh, hopefully their marriage gets through this game. We'll see. Uh, uh, but I've been doing it for the last three, and I, I enjoy that. I mean, the environment will be different. It'll be tense. Hopefully, uh, and we mentioned there with Colin, hopefully things uh, don't get out of control. You know, there was an unfortunate right. incident in 2013, if you remember, where the AD, I think it was the president of the USF's car, was slashed. Um, and uh, they had to take a rental car back. We don't need that nonsense. We just don't uh, either side. So, um I don't know. I, I think, Jeff, and, and it's funny because I'm going to have a lot of UCF-USF this week with volleyball and things, but I think the rivalry is still intense, but because both teams are in the conference, I think it's not nuclear like it used to be when they were in different conferences and there was a lot of animosity because they didn't play and you know there was some negative. Do you buy into that? I mean, do you think that while it's still intense, and he mentioned that, I, I think they're 
I don't know if it's, it's nuclear like it was, say, five, six years ago when there was a lot of like animosity on both sides. I think both sides know they're in the same league. They're in the same conference. It'll be intense, but I think they're kind of they're realizing maybe they're a lot more similar in some things than they thought. Well, it's kind of like uh, there's kind of an arranged marriage feel to it now. Like, okay, for better or for worse, we're in this together. Um, and I think both schools, you know, from from the top on down, um, and I think the fan bases are also coming to terms with the idea that, you know, as in the big picture, as one goes, so goes the other. Right? We 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 thought, we saw hints about that with. Uh, with when when the Big Twelve came flirting uh, a little bit, right? Um, at both schools, I think, understand now that you know the, the optimal situation is we're both undefeated heading into this game, and may the best team win. Um, it's it it is still intense, but yes. there's kind of like okay, it, it's but- it's not it's not something that you know is like it, it may go away. Like no, we're stuck together. Well, I thought, that, like Colin said, what caught me was he actually likes the direction that the school is headed right now with yeah. Danny White and Scott Frost, whereas that was not the case. I remember that when George O'Leary, better for worse, there was a lot of animosity there, and he brought up a lot of, quite frankly, points that maybe people don't agree with, but that's how USF people felt. And I do think that's kind of toned down a little bit. And at the same time, I don't know. I mean, UCF hates USF people still. I get it. But I don't. It was. I don't know if it's a, is that was at the level that it was with Jim Levin and Matt Grothy, as I brought up. Uh, now that could change after. The, and one of the issues that we brought up in that interview is, unfortunately, with the way the you know the the lab, like for example, we we talked with Murph about that last year's game about running up the score. Can you imagine if Willie Taggart was still here? I think that would have been an even bigger story. And I and I and the oh, sad yeah. thing is, the sad thing is, I think we could have had a real big rivalry from a coaching standpoint with Taggart and Frost, because I think that was definitely going to be animosity there. The problem is we don't know, you know, Taggart left and, and who knows what, you know, how long coach Frost will be here, whether it's beyond this year or not. So I don't know if we'll have those rivalries like we did, for example, in, in other rivalries with like Spurrier and Bowden or Woody Hayes and, See, and Bo Schembechler. I, I think uh, the rivalry like has to be bigger than the coaches. Uh, you know, I, I understand how, you know, you, you know, Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler made, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, kind of what it is today. But the, the the schools have to be bigger than the people who are coaching the football teams. Yes and, and no. Yes and, I, I, yes and no. I agree with that. But usually a coach can make – it helps the program have success and as a result brings animosity from the other side, right? Like Spurrier and Bowden, Florida State fans hated Spurrier because he was so good and he would take little jabs at Florida state and Florida fans hated Bobby Bowden. He was like the symbol. Where's the symbol of the hatred? It goes beyond just the school. It has to be more than that, whether it be a, you know, a, and it's usually the coach cause he's the yeah. face of the program. And usually they hate the coach cause he's successful. Nobody hates a coach if they're not successful. Well, I, right? I think, I think back to what, uh, what Bill Parcells uh, told Phil Sims in 86, when they went into uh, RFK stadium in Washington, um, and he said, "He said, Sims, they hate us so much here; they love us, and that's what I want. It that that's what I want this to be. That these two teams just hate each other so much that they just that that they just that you love it, right? Well, well, <laughs> so. we'll see. I mean, can they continue this success? We'll see. It's easier said than done because again, if coaches changes, that always bring that you know that that's at risk, and so." 
you know, that whereas Jim Levitt was there forever at USF. So UCF fans just I mean, he would just make, you know, running up the score in 07 or whatever comments he would make. And it was the same thing on the other side. You heard Colin talk about how much they all the things he hated about George O'Leary. Yeah. Um, that's not here right now because Scott Frost just got here. So if you're a USF fan, why do you hate Scott Frost? There's no reason to really hate Scott yeah, Frost. What did he do to you? <laughs> Right, but if Scott Frost, let's say, was here for five years and won four in a row against USF, now you're building some animosity there. So I think that's what I meant with as far as coaches and the programs. That's part of the factor there, uh, and, and the fact that they're building good teams there. So, but the fans, obviously, don't get me wrong. I don't. Let's not make it out like they get along. They're going to be best pals, but they're the animosity. Uh, but you know, we'll see if they can continue this because this is the first time that really both teams are good. You can maybe argue that 07, maybe both teams were good, but that was so early in the year that UCF wasn't as good as they were later that year when they won the Conference USA title game. Uh, this is really the first time where both teams are good, and this is the first time where, in my opinion, the loser of this game is going to have a miserable weekend, a miserable feeling, and maybe a miserable feeling for a long time. And a miserable year you, is what it's going to be like, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, that's what these rivalry games are, right? You all wanted this. You all wanted to all put all your chips on the on the table. You've got be careful what you wish for. Because Florida State, Miami, for example, twenty people still talk about wide right, twenty you know however many years now, twenty five years from that you know ago and all that stuff. These games have a lasting memory. Uh, anybody that's involved in this game, from a fan to a coach to a player, this Friday will remember where they were, regardless of the result, whether it's positive or negative. You will remember this. You're going to be watching this with your kids. You're going to remember that, and, and and I mean the kids may not, but uh, but you'll uh, but you will, and you'll tell them the story about it because uh, and and you'll remember one way or the other where you were and what you were doing. Same with me. Same with everybody that's going to be either watching this game on TV or at the game. Well, if we lose, I'm sure Connor will remember it as the day Daddy broke the television. But um, there you go. But that's any, a good point. Uh, some notes I wanted to uh, I wanted to pass on a little housekeeping for uh, for you if you're going to the game. Um. There is a timeline. You want to arrive there early. Traffic will be heavy. Traffic will definitely be heavy for this game. So if you're heading uh, on campus, all the lots, all the tailgate lots open at 9.30 a.m. on Friday. There's a little feature that they have going on, Monster Motocross. They've got three show times, 12.45, 1.45, 2.45, so that should be pretty fun. Um, night walk at down, uh, down Iowa Plaza starts at uh, 1.20 the student gates, if you're a student listening, student gates open at 1.30, two hours prior to game time. All gates open a half hour later at 2 o'clock, so don't forget the clear bag policy is in effect. We got a concert, Seth Ennis at IOA Plaza. He uh, His set begins at 2.15. Um, there's the March to Victory on East Plaza Drive at 2.30. Uh, senior Day ceremonies, be in the stadium for this. Please, please be in the stadium for this. 3.08 p.m is when we're going to do that, where we're going to honor the seniors who are playing their final home game at UCF, and then, of course, kickoff at 3.30. If you can't make it to the stadium, you can watch it on ABC. Senior ceremonies are always emotional. Shaq Griffin especially, that's going to be emotional. Our friend Andrew Fagley, who's really tight with the Griffin family, uh, I'm sure he'll be emotional. Our friend at Nightline, I mean, I was listening to their last episode. You know, Trace was reading some of the clips from the SI article, which is really good. I recommend... People check that out, and Andrew almost broke down in tears. 
I think the reason why he didn't cry is because he's been too busy crying from all the defeats he's been getting at the hands of us in fantasy. <laughs> eight, eight, eight wins, right, Eric? Eight wins through 10 eight, games? That's eight. right, baby. Eight and two. Not only are we bowl eligible, baby, we're we're rolling. I mean, we're just running up the score at this point. Yeah, we're just toying with them. I mean, good Lord. Yeah, Come it's, on. it's getting out of hand. It's getting out of hand now. Oh. All right. All right um, the, go ahead. They will be, by the way, I, I, I kid, they will be there uh, – they're doing their usual Burger U post-game show after the game, which will be big time. And I told Andrew this uh, when I saw him two weeks ago, and I was on after the uh, Connecticut game. I told him this will be the most memorable post-game show he will ever do. Uh, either way, it's either right. going to be one of the most exciting, uh, happiest, most ex- uh, uh, fun ones he's ever done if they win. For good or, or for be one of the tough, <laughs> Or the toughest ones he'll ever do if they lose. And I told him that, and so uh, I wish him well on that. Uh, hopefully for a positive on that right. standpoint. Real quick, I asked we asked Colin about the TV ratings. I, I want your opinion on it. Okay. I gave you the numbers there that I told Colin. The, the, the 3 million viewers, the Houston game against Memphis last year and the Navy game from two years ago, that's what the American Conference games have averaged there. Uh, Nebraska games average usually around 3.5 to 6 million, depending on how good the teams are in the last four years in that window. Do you have a prediction? I, I do think this will be the most watched UCF game locally in the Scott Frost era. It'll probably be the most watched since the South Carolina game, which locally in 2013 did an 11 rating about two, which come out, which for people that don't know, that comes out to about 240,000 people locally are watching. Think about that. <laughs> That's mm. not including bars and things like that. Um, I don't think it'll reach those numbers, but I do think this will be the most watched UCF game since the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, do from a national standpoint, because I do think this is a factor for the league and for the conference and for this game and whether it's a TV draw where people will care and maybe for future placement of television. Uh, do you think this game does better than three million? Does it do better than four oh, million? Yeah. What? I'm thinking four and a half mil minimum. You're going to go four and a half. Yeah. Uh, I know Colin said four point two. I'll go very conservative and say three and a half. I'm going to go three and a half, which is still very good. I think I think ABC, ESPN would be happy with that, uh, considering the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a lot of factors into this, how good the game will be. As you know, Jeff, from working in television, if yep. the game's a blowout, people tend to tune away. So Also, how mind. good the game is before us, too. If that Miami Absolutely. game is tight at sure. the end, that's going to that's gonna boost the kickoff number for but, our game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Orlando market and the Tampa market watch this game they'll definitely be i would be shocked if orlando and tampa are not the two top markets to watch this game but how <laughs> well number do three they omaha <laughs> yeah well i mean well that's the funny thing i mean nebraska's playing at the same time so there that's might true. be a lot of flipping there might be a lot of flipping in yeah. omaha so yeah, you might, might be, be right they might be uh, splitting the audience on that one so some yeah. things to keep in mind. Florida State, Alabama did a 13 and a half local rating in Orlando. That's the highest rated football game to this point in the college game uh, this year in Orlando in the central Florida area. Florida, Michigan did about an 11 and a half, uh, which is the highest rated Gator game to this point. Florida, Florida State usually does about a 13 to a 14 rating. We'll see how they do this year with both teams sucking. Uh, the Hurricane Notre Dame game did an 8.9, which is the highest rated Hurricane game in Orlando in five, six years. I mean, their numbers have jumped immensely. So those are some numbers to keep in mind uh, to see how many people tune in to watch this game. I know last year, for example, the highest rated UCF game locally in the Scott Frost era, era was that Michigan game last year on ABC. 
did a 4.4 local rating. I expect this game to do better than that with, with everything at stake. So should be fun. Funny you mention UCF and Nebraska as we make a nice uh, transition here <laughs> because – Obviously, the war on I-4, not the only Thanksgiving weekend uh, sporting event going on. UCF men's basketball is heading uh, over to Disney for the Advocare Invitational. It's a uh, three-day tournament starting uh, Thanksgiving Day. At least UCF is starting Thanksgiving Day. Uh, The Knights are scheduled to play three games come hell or high water, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, down at the HP Fieldhouse uh, at the Wide World of Sports. And they are starting with Nebraska. On Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> Wonder uh, what kind of chatter that's going to be like pregame for those fan bases, right. huh? Yeah, so get your own coach. You might, have to, you, you might have to, like, you know how we talk to UCF, USF fans, that everybody get along and behave and all that. We might have to apply that to the basketball fans. There. Yeah, everybody be, everybody be nice. You don't know how much they're donating. Um, six, uh, six o'clock tip on Thursday for UCF yep. against Nebraska. Uh, down at Disney. If you're heading down there, it's worth checking out. It's actually a fun tournament to go to. Um, that includes got, yours truly. Yep, I've got the uh, I got the bracket pulled up. I'm going to put this in the show notes. But the um, the bracket has UCF and Nebraska on the other side of West Virginia and Marist, uh, and they are playing actually the game right after UCF. These games yep. will be televised on ESPN three, so you can watch them online. Um, the, Some of them will be on the regular ESPN TV and all right. that throughout the tournament. Just keep it, you know, kind of updated on all that information. Right now, now it, yeah, because it depends on you know how UCF plays in this sort of it's it's sort of like a winner's bracket and then a loser's bracket. But everyone plays three games, so depending on where you are, obviously, if UCF wins, I think you probably you might have a chance to be on on the mothership on Friday or or maybe even Sunday. Um, the uh, let's see, oh, where did I put it? Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, so, you know, potential if UCF wins the game uh, that you'll be playing. Obviously, they'll be playing on Friday. They could be playing actually starting that game across from the football game. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate kind of how that plays out because, yeah, the UCF's playing Nebraska. If they win that game, West yeah, yeah, Virginia. If, the, if it's the winner's bracket game, that if UCF yeah. goes to the winner's bracket game, then they would be playing at 5 o'clock. And then if they lose, they would play at seven. Seven, That's correct. basically how that works. So it's going to get lost, obviously, with the football game on Friday. This is a great tournament. I've been going to this tournament uh, when it was the Old Spice Classic, and now it's the Advocate Tournament. Uh, I've been going for the last four years. Well-run tournament, good environment, small arena, which makes it tight, but it's fun. Uh, fan bases from all the schools that are participating come out. Um, UCF participated at this tournament. I want to say it was 07 was the year that uh, Michael Beasley, if you remember Jeff, when he yep. was at Kansas State. And UCF played them. So great to see them there. This is a good tournament. Uh, obviously good to see Taco fall back. He came uh, and played the William and Mary game, played 15 minutes, made an immediate impact. That's good to see. Uh, I'm looking forward to this tournament. I'm going to be out there on Thursday for the Nebraska game. And then I'll probably head out there Sunday, depending on what time they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think these are valuable games to get to see where this team is at. Uh, you hope that they can stay healthy for a change in a game. It seems like every game they've had, they've had some sort of injury. Uh, Terrell Allen got hurt a little bit in the William and Mary game. That, that's why he didn't play much. Uh, who's right now the point guard with B.J. Taylor out. The good news is Allen will be fine and should be good to go for that Nebraska game. But look, these are important games because these are the games where you build your resume for postseason down the road. So, um, you know, it's hard. to. And, and what's interesting about this bracket is, 
On the other side, you've got teams like Missouri with Michael Porter, who he's currently hurt. UCF will play Missouri November the 30th at home. So it could be awkward where you might see UCF could play Missouri at some point in this tournament and play them back-to-back, which right. is very rare, but does happen. Uh, other teams on this field, Oregon State from the Pac-12 uh, is in this field. St. John's with your guy you am a big fan of, I know, Chris Mullen as the head coach of the St. Johnny's. Uh, are in this field as well. So uh, Long Beach State rounds out this field. But it's a great tournament, and uh, I know Coach Dawkins is excited and looking forward to seeing how they look there on the court. And uh, at least I think UCF fans will be out there on Thanksgiving, hopefully on Thanksgiving night and on Sunday. Obviously, that's going to be tough to ask on uh, Friday. Yeah, but it's going to be, you know, well, if you can't, if it, well, the football game's sold out. So if you can't make it to the football game, head on over to the basketball game, which will be down at Disney (laughs) anyway. So um, so you did mention the William & Mary game, UCF, um, defeating William and Mary at home, seventy-five to sixty-four, uh, in their last game. So UCF is now three and zero in this sort of awkward three and zero start. But, um, but hey, win is a win is a win. Uh, leading scorer for the Knights, uh, I had it. Oh, there it is. Uh, Chance McSpadden with a big game, eighteen points uh, in that game. AJ Davis had seventeen on six of ten from the field and eleven rebounds. AJ is all over the place this year so far in the first three games. Has to be. He has to be. He has to be. With the injuries, he's the one that has to step up, and he has so far. Uh, yeah. But with B.J. Taylor in particular out, he's probably the one that has to really set the, the tone on offense and uh, and, and be uh, kind of be their playmaker a little bit to some extent. And so and he was against William & Mary, so you're right. A good start for him, and he's going to be a key uh, as we get into this tournament uh, and beyond. And a shout-out to Cesar de Jesus, who – uh, was honored today by the American Athletic Conference as the uh, conference rookie of the week, um, averaging uh, just under 12 points uh, per game in the two games this past week against Gardner Webb and William and Mary. He's also got 2.3 steals per game so far. Um, first player since Taco Fall to win the uh, UCF player since Taco Fall to win the uh, AAC rookie of the week. And uh, I'm happy about that because Cesar is a uh, Jersey City native, so he and I. Uh, from went to actually, even though he went to Mount Zion Prep in Maryland, he's originally from Jersey City. So um, that is uh, so that's something that I, I always like to see. I love when Jersey when UCF gets a couple Jersey boys out there on the roster. That's always fun to see. And then uh, oh, one other thing I want to mention from football: Mackenzie Milton, Offensive Player of the Week in the American this past week as well for uh, another outstanding performance. Uh, it's the third time this year. Uh, that he's been the uh, conference player of the week. Ch- obviously, chance to be the conference offensive player of the year. He's up for the big quarterback awards, uh, and uh, so that should be so. That's something that we're going to be looking at as well uh, as we uh, head on the other side of this game, and and hopefully, hopefully, to the conference championship game. I want to check in with uh, women's hoops uh, as well. Uh, they played a pair of games within uh, 72 hours on the road at Gardner-Webb in North Carolina. They beat up on Gardner-Webb pretty bad, 65-30 to 30, um, in that game. Gardner-Webb, a familiar face from our A-Sun days, right? Uh, Aaliyah Gregory, 17 points, uh, one rebound in the game. Uh, L'Oreal Wilson with a 10 and 7 uh, as well for UCF as the night shot uh, 40% en route to the victory. But then... Against Virginia Tech, the Knights uh, uh, kind of struggled in this game, uh, especially in the second quarter, fell down to Virginia Tech and never really recovered. 86-69 in Blacksburg 
Uh, Aaliyah did have 18, along with KK Wright with 18, and Fifi Endor with 17 on the road, but... Uh, and also uh, Kaba Masney, Masney with uh, with 10. So four players in double figures for the Knights, but it wasn't enough as the uh, Hokies take the victory behind 21 from Emery Taylor uh, and 18 and 6 from Alexis John. So um, UCF women's basketball right now at 2 and 2. Last but not least, Eric Lopez, your UCF volleyball team. Uh, heading down the stretch, they're starting to heat up. As uh, as they uh, remember, they were thirteen and thirteen, right? And now they are seventeen and thirteen, back of uh, a key uh, pair of victories on the road. They uh, swept Temple three uh, zero, and that was a that was a big win for UCF uh, volleyball because Temple's third in the uh, conference uh, in the American, and then they followed that up by winning in five at uh, UConn. So. Uh, two more victories for Coach Dagenet and his team. Um, look at the individual stats from this match, uh, from from the Temple match, excuse me. Um, for UCF, Kia Bright, another 15 kills. Christina Fisher with 14. Uh, and uh, for UCF as well, in that, uh, then following that up in the UConn game, or the UConn match, rather, Christina Fisher with a 20-kill day. Uh, she has really been uh, she has really been uh, a great find for Coach Dagenet. Kia Bright with 16, Anne Marie Watson with another 11 kills uh, for UCF as well. So, um, congrats to the Knights on uh, on that. Uh, uh, they've now won uh, four in a row. Um, heading back to that, uh, heading back to the double sweeps at home last weekend against Tulane and Houston, and now Eric Lopez. They head into this critical two match stretch. Uh, where they go back-to-back against USF. So we talk about war on I-4. Here we go. The night before Thanksgiving, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at the venue, also on American Digital Network, Senior Day, UCF and USF at the venue. Uh, and then uh, after that, these two teams, uh, remember the travel partner thing, they, they play each other the same weekend in the, in the American, which I think is actually kind of cool. Um, they, these two hook up again on, at, in, uh, Tampa on Saturday at 7 p.m. Saturday at 7 p.m. That's the regular season finale for UCF volleyball. Now, I thought this was interesting, Eric Lopez. If you look on the UCF schedule, uh, on, uh, underneath volleyball, it says November 28th, Tuesday to December 12th, Tuesday, National Invitational Volleyball Championship. Yep. So... If I'm not mistaken, now there I haven't seen any official announcement about this, but All right. well, clearly UCF is thinking that they might be um, that, that that they might be potentially playing in the in the, one of these extra postseason tournaments and potentially hosting, which I think is a good thing because uh, 17 and 13, you win those two matches against USF, you're 19 and 13, you can get yourself a 20 win season, and uh, and once again. Um, this is you know, extra postseason for a team that this that's this young. Good thing to get some extra reps as always. Reps as always, don't you think? Well, it's funny you bring that up, Jeff, because I will be doing sideline for this Wednesday night's game between UCF USF on the American Digital Network, and uh, I I have done some research, and there is a, a the NIVC is a thirty two team field, and I think if UCF were to finish strong uh, and win out, I think they have a strong possibility of getting in. And possibly hosting, uh, possibly next, for example, next Tuesday, the 28th of November and the 29th 
of uh, Wednesday of November. They could be at the 14 field and maybe play a doubleheader. For example, they would have four teams playing here in Orlando. Let's hypothetically say that Tuesday, and then those teams advance to play on that Wednesday and so forth. Or UCF could travel somewhere and play. Um, I don't know how it all depends on who gets in and who gets not, but I, I think you would agree if UCF can finish strong the way they've been playing and win out against USF, I think they're a very appealing and a very strong candidate to get into that 32-team field there for the uh, for that uh, postseason, which would be right. huge for a young roster that has only loses two players. It's still very young. That means extra practice, an extra week of games. I mean, that's that's valuable. Yeah, it really is, especially for this team. I think you know, getting those getting that getting those extra reps against uh, some pretty good competition. I think will will be a, a definite help. UCF is ten and eight in the league, and uh, boy, Todd was right at the start of the year. This league is crowded, and we knew that Wichita State would be good. They're eighteen and zero in the conference, twenty six and three. So they're clearly at the top, running away and hiding. After that, you have. SMU with 14 wins, Temple with 13, ECU with Cincinnati with 11 wins each, and UCF with 10 wins in conference. And you got, uh, uh, let's see, you're going to have one, two, possibly three teams at least with 20 wins. So possibly as many as four, we don't know. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be a um, – the competition this year was stiff in women's volleyball. So I think the more reps you can give those younger players – um, the better for UCF women's volleyball, at least at that point, because um, you know you get a little bit more out of Fisher, you get a little bit more out of Anne Marie Watson. Um, you know, Allie Sable is going to be heading into her junior year. Jeannie Westney is going to be heading into her junior year. Um, that's going to be a key for setting UCF up for maybe a run at the conference title and trying to beat uh, Wichita State in uh, in 2018. See, I think that now. I, I wonder if now might be the might be the good time to start. I think to, if I was you know in the administration side with uh, um, a, a volleyball in the American is thinking about do we actually start thinking about having a conference tournament again? Well, that'll be something I have to discuss in the off season. I mean, that's yeah. not they haven't done it to this point, so I don't know what would all of us you know we'll see. Um, I would. I've always been. I've been pro for it, but uh, like I understand the other side of it. But you're, we'll see. We'll see if they end up that route. But I again, I think these two matches are very important from their postseason aspirations. Their RPI, as we speak, is ninety. Uh, you like to keep it very low and be attractive to get into that postseason on Sunday. So uh, we'll see if they get in or not, and maybe have some extra volleyball. Yeah, I, I, I'm well. I'm never going to complain about having extra volleyball, <laughs> so you're not going to get that from me. And uh, here's to uh, hopefully a war on I four sweep for UCF volleyball as well on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so as we uh, wrap this up here on uh, the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, Eric, what do you have on your slate for this week? Well, I, I mentioned it. I'll be the sideline reporter for that USF USCF volleyball match Wednesday night on the America Digital Network, seven o'clock. I will be doing sideline there. Hopefully I'm getting to, to see the trophy. Maybe, I don't know if they'll be in, in appearance or not, but you can tune in and find out if it will be. So I'll be there, and then I'll be Thursday at the Advocare Tournament in Disney for UCF basketball. And uh, then obviously the big one, Black Friday, obviously UCF-USF football game. Yeah, don't forget our live blog uh, with uh, Eric, of course, Brian Murphy, who we heard earlier. And thanks again to Brian for joining us on this show uh, today. And myself, we will be live blogging the uh, – game on Friday as well. Uh, and also thanks to our guests from earlier, Colin Sherwin from uh, Daily Stampede. Uh, you can make sure you follow him on Twitter as well. 
Uh, just don't get too mad. Just at be him. kind. Just yeah, be, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no cuss words. All right. If you want to, you know, just go ahead after just, him, but no cuss words. Right? Like, you know, I, I mean, he asks for it sometimes, but I mean, he, you know, true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, but that, yeah, thanks again to Colin. Excellent conversation with him. Uh, and, uh, also thanks again to you, the fans. And of course, thanks also as well to our, uh, uh, title sponsor, uh, Sam Unger Real Estate Group, samsellsorlando.net to find out more about Sam. Thank you again to Sam. Thanks to you, the fans. Thank you, Eric. This was fun. This is a, this is one of those I think we circled uh, all year long uh, that we knew this was going to be a fun episode, a fun week, and uh, let's let's have fun with it and hope for the best. Right? Hopefully next week we're in a really good positive mindset, and hopefully we're not you know we're not trying to jump people off you know cliffs or something. <laughs> well, we're going to know a lot more about the season. We're, I mean, remember, we're not going to do our regular Wednesday show into Thursday because it's the Thanksgiving holiday. This is your show for this week. We will be back again next week with. Hopefully, hopefully, Eric Lopez, a preview of the American Athletic Conference uh, championship game. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy Rivalry Week, and we'll catch you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.